Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? Today, we have a very, very, very special guest, Mr. Josh Brigham from Hopesfall. Yeah, here we go. Do I clap for yeah. myself? Yeah, of yeah. course. Okay, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Please. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me. How are you? <laughs> Josh, thanks so much for coming on. You know... We, you were on our most wanted guest list, and I, I, I got to tell you, I didn't think it would happen by episode seven, but here we are. Yeah. Well, dude, dude, happy to be here. Yeah, seriously. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, Josh, how are, how are you coping uh, in the age of corona? What is your what does your day-to-day look like? My day-to-day has not changed at all. Uh, really? So I work for a brewery, and uh, I'm a sales rep, and so... Our business supplies the grocery stores and the convenience stores and all the retail places where you can purchase alcohol, but we're part of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So uh, I am essential, and uh, I'll never think of myself as anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, but like my my day-to-day did change. I would normally uh, call on like bars and restaurants and the hotels and the stadiums, like right in the, the center of Charlotte. Yeah. And um, like I went from like 300 accounts to like about 10 in one day when they mm-hmm. closed all of the bars and restaurants and stuff. And so like our boss like just redrew the whole, like we, we just pivoted immediately to focus on retail because yeah. we knew that it was now that's the only game in town. And so uh, we've been like full court press on um, convenience stores, Whole Foods, Harris Teeter is a big chain down here. Food Lion's a chain down here. Um, who else? Target, Walmart, you know, like all, you know, places like that where normally I'm like going to bars and restaurants and hotels and stuff. So it's been yeah. kind of an interesting shift. Uh, I've, I mean, like objectively, like taking, like put the situation aside, I've kind of enjoyed getting to do a different thing with the business. Right. But I'm working more, but honestly, I'm grateful that I am busy and that I have something to do. Same here. Things at work have been busier than ever. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. They just laid somebody off. So I'm hoping there's not going to be more, but I still have a job and I have enough things to keep me busy. So Keith, I'm, very I'm happy. always curious. What do you do for a living? I work as a project manager for an outsourcing firm. Okay. Yeah. So we sell like outsource services or technology solutions to whoever wants to buy them. Okay. Yeah. What's an outsource? Right What's an outsource service? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know how they have like security guards they hire to work outside a warehouse? Yeah. Imagine that, but for like office jobs. Uh, like, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, like like we don't you know we don't want our people to worry about 
making copies and doing reception and doing hospitality. So we, we hire you to hire the people to do that and train them and staff them and all that stuff. Oh, that's cool. But listen, my job is very boring, so we uh, we got to talk. We got to talk to Josh. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we no, have no, no. Tommy, what's your job? Tommy, what do you do? Uh, I teach middle school mathematics in Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, no, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been a middle school what? math teacher now for. Well, I've been a middle school teacher for the last uh, nine years, eight years. Uh huh. And uh, I moved over to math. Uh, I really, really like the school I work for. It's a charter school. Um, and, uh, it, it's really like the way it's run is super awesome. And it's very, very, st- I went to Catholic school from first grade all the way through high school. Um, mm-hmm. Same. And I all actually, I'm sorry. I went from first grade all the way through. I went to a Catholic college. Oh, um, right. <laughs> so for me, it really reminds me of my education growing up, which was very, very strict. And a lot of like things that we knew used to work a long time ago. And now we're like, you know what? This is actually tried and true. We've used this over and over again. They've tried all these educations. One of these things where fads come up really big and people go, yeah, no, let's try this. And then they're gung ho behind it for two to three years. And then they like look at the data and go, well, it's not working exactly how we wanted it or it's not perfect. And then they go on and latch onto whatever the new fad is. We're kind of like, nope, the way we used to learn is pretty awesome. So we're just going to keep doing that. And it's really about hard work and perseverance. So I just like the place I was staying at. And uh, one of the teachers I worked with was like, hey, we lost a math teacher today. Like they actually are, are leaving and we think uh, you might be a good fit for that position. And I was like, yeah, but I, I don't have any math credits in college. Like I, I, oh, I shit. so <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like I couldn't teach math. Like I can't legally be a, you know, you have to take a state certification yeah. test. And no, everything. no, no. Well, hold on. Let me stop you right there. It was like, now, like, you're like, okay, I can't teach math, but like, could you do math? Oh yeah, for sure. Beyond like, you know, a calculator. Uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty, I, I was always pretty good with math. I actually, I think I made it to, I made it to, uh, calculus in high school. So I was, I was oh, pretty wow. decent with it. And, uh, I just, I just never thought of it as what, it, you know, like that, that moment when you're looking at your life and you go, Oh shit. I never thought this is what this was going to turn out to be. I never uh-huh. thought I would be a 37 year old guy standing in front of 11 year olds teaching how to divide fractions. Like, is right. it not like rewarding though at a certain oh, it's point, amazing. like getting people to understand a concept or see something different? Like uh-huh. I got to imagine that like, yeah, like when you get somebody over the hump to something that was like intimidating and then they're like, okay. And like they've mastered that skill or are on the path. Yeah. That, like that feels really good. Oh, it's that's a lot of teachers call that the aha moment. Like the, when the kids uh-huh. go, Oh, I got it. Like, that's the yeah no that's it's there's definitely like an adrenaline behind that because you see kids like struggle with something and you're like all right we'll try this and then that doesn't work you're like all right we'll try this and then that doesn't work and then you're like well wait what if you thought about it like this and then tried to solve it and then the kids get it and you're like okay like you at least have a bag of like you know kind of a bag of tricks that you can go into when kids oh are yeah struggling. you have the- you have cues. Yeah. You're like, uh, yeah, yeah. You have cues that like, you, like you get, and you get better at using them in the right places. And exactly. And like, it's like a, it, yeah, it's, there's a skill to the presentation and like, I, and there's an art to it. There, that's an, that's one I, thing I that I, I try I to get, get that. I try to get people to kind of understand like when they come into, so my school is really, really, really selective about who they hire. Um, so when people come in for like interviews, they're, uh, it, they're pretty daunting. It's not, it's it's 
it's essentially we we have them show up in the morning we have them prepare a lesson based on a standard we gave them and say like hey this is what you're going to be teaching today um we throw them in a classroom with no other teachers there to correct behaviors or anything we toss them in you know in front of 30 kids are you filming well uh is there a mirror yeah, like, so, like one of those two-sided mirrors and, no. and they know that like the lawyers are on the other side. No. So uh, what they do is uh, they have those little mini camcorders, like the little uh-huh. like uh, – I forget what they're called. I can't believe I can't – Body cams like an officer? But like that, like that <laughs> style camera, it's really small. It's non-invasive and the microphone uh-huh. – closed circuit cam. It's uh-huh. like, but it's like that, but it's not in every classroom. So the person will basically do the interview and they drop them off. And then our style of teaching is very not what everybody else learns. So our big thing around hiring is we want people that are coachable. Like we need to teach you the way that we do stuff. So basically what we had people do is in the morning they teach a lesson and then we watch it together and say, hey – this is what we want to see you do next time because that's going to be the difference of someone that's successful in a classroom and someone that's not because we know what works in a classroom and what makes people or makes kids understand lessons better or process the information better. So like we want to be able to say like, hey, you went and sat down and looked at what we did, but what we want you to fix is X, Y, and Z. Can you go in and fix it? So in the afternoon, they have time to adjust, and then they go in and teach the same lesson, this time with the idea that we're going to film it again, and we want to see you do those three things we talked about. Mm. Interesting. I was listening to a podcast lately. I, I listen to Jocko sometimes. Oh, yeah. You guys know that guy? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's super intense, but he's like talking about like officer training school and like the way they get you to do something or be something is they like there's a there's a psychology to every little thing that they make you do and and it's like it's to kind of be able to bring out certain aspects of the personality and like take command of situations so like i'm wondering are the three things that you guys do do they is it one of those things where they like it's like we need to see you lead people in a different direction and uh- no, mostly it, it'll be like, it'll, I mean, it's almost literally like physical things. So it'll be things like, uh, okay, once you pose the main question for the day and you got, and you teach your little part, when you're walking around, what we want you do is either on a piece of paper or in your head, you should be tallying how many kids are getting it correct and how many kids are getting it incorrect. So that, uh. you know, so that, you know, when you go back up there, should you be reteaching this? And if you are reteaching it, how should you be reteaching it? You should be looking for, okay, I have 20, I have 30 kids in a classroom and 20 of them are making the exact same mistake. So you need to teach to that mistake. What's the mistake they're making? Oh, when they divide fractions, they're not, you know, using the reciprocal on the second fraction. Okay. So I want to show you two examples on the board and we literally model it for them. Like this is what you should be doing in a classroom when you see a mistake and then have them mm. go back with a different class and teach the exact, like, that's the thing is the lesson doesn't change. Nothing changes about anything that we do. Like, yeah, you know, it's just, can they implement that plan? Precisely. Effectively. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And, and like, that's yeah. one of those things, like you're talking about, like with people that's like, like jo- coaching, that's oh, like yeah. coaching. That's yeah. what, so that's the thing is like, when you were talking about with like people like Jocko, it's like that uh, mindset of like, being a Navy SEAL and all those things, like I'm not saying like what my job is, is like Navy being a Navy SEAL, but it's all about, um, there's a mindset you have to have because essentially when you walk into a classroom, kids need to respect you, but they also need to know that you're someone there that's there to help you. Like that, they, they can't be afraid of you. Like my, my boss calls it warm strict. 
like you need to be strict with the kids, but they also, you need to be approachable. But the thing is, is like with, uh, when you get into those like hard and fast mentalities of like, Hey, we have to have you perform like this. A lot of it's really scary because essentially what you're telling, and I'll like, we have a lot of teachers come in to try you know, teaching and it's like they're 23, 24, 25 years, you know, they had just recently graduated from college. This might be their first Mm -hmm. or their second job. And it's really daunting to walk into a place where it's like, my wife is a regular school teacher um, in a public school. She gets observed once a year Uh, at minimum. I have at least two observations per week. And those are like 20 to 25 minutes where my supervisor. Well, now, is that someone's is, observing you to make sure you're like doing it right? 100%. 100%. That's literally, they walk, okay. they walk in, they grab my lesson plans off the wall. They look to make sure that what I'm teaching lines up with what I said I was going to be teaching a week and a half ago when I submitted them. And then it really comes down to, is he executing in the way that he said he was? And if he's not, what is he doing to adjust in the moment to make sure the kids are getting it? Because- it's, it is really like, um, I, I always, I always like teaching to think about it as like, uh, in the beginning, zero out of 30 of them get this. My yeah, job uh-huh. is to get them to anywhere between 80 and 90%. There's a, Hey, Tommy. Yeah. Did you ever finish watching the wire? No. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I know, that, was the most, that was the most shameful. I haven't enough. watched it either. I, uh, I haven't watched it either. And I've heard Tommy, it's amazing. I know it's, it's my favorite show ever. Tommy watch season four. That's you, dude. Oh really, Mr. Pre- Mr. Presbo? That's you. <laughs> so, I actually, I, I thought it was funny. It was Keith? You know, I I have your HBO Go password. So like every time, I, <laughs> yeah, every time I you log have no on, excuse. Every time I open the like, my daughters are like, you know. So uh, Josh, you know, I have twin six year olds, and uh, oh no, I didn't know that. I so I have twin six year old girls, and then uh, I, we have a new baby that's six months old. So. <laughs> My life. You got is, your hands full. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Actually, it's it's really funny. Is yeah, uh, I was doing some like Keith, give shit. him a fucking break. He hasn't <laughs> seen the show yet. And he's got shit going on. But yeah, well, I mean, Don't three kids. It. That's only like twenty three hours out of the day. That other <laughs> hour, you could you could be, <laughs> and you could catch up on the this wire. Dude. You <laughs> you listen to Jocko too. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I this is what I always think of. Is like I, I I see whenever I see that HBO logo, immediately I have that guilt <laughs> pang of like oh, oh the Keith, wire. I told Keith I was going to watch that, but I did watch True Detective all the way through. I watched all of the first season, and I was I was like. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. It I is. loved it. I it loved is. it from beginning to end. That was such a great show. Yeah. But I, 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 I don't know, man. Like, there's, there's some, there's sometimes where, like, I think the thing was is season one was really good for me, and then season two got into the whole thing with like the docs and like that dude. The mafia. I told you not. Like, I, I told you not to watch season two. You jump right to three. I know. Well, I made the mistake of doing that, and so now it's just me sitting. You there. lost the momentum. Oh, you lost the momentum, it's, dude. It's the worst part, dude. Is like, but my wife and I never watch anything together. So like, when we find something that we can bond over, because she watches garbage. Like she watches. God damn it! What's the show? Like you know stuff that's been on the air for a long time, but it's like I, I it's kind of like like. Uh, ne- Network stuff, yeah, like Grey's Anatomy. She watches. Yeah. she watches mm. Chicago PD. What's the other? She watches some of the tr- like the really like crazy like trashy shit, like um, Ninety Day Fiance, like that kind of. Yeah, like I can't watch that with her, but like we actually we watch that uh, Tiger King thing together. Yeah. Oh man, everybody, yeah, dude, everybody watched that. 
Yeah. That was great. That was good. That I was lost interest wild. the last couple or episodes, but you know so, it was good overall. I'm gonna say. So I was gonna say I'm gonna say some unpopular shit. I didn't. I was not hooked. Like people were like, "Oh my god, this is the craziest thing ever." You know who Keith? You'll love this. You know who told me to go watch it first? Can you, so just imagine dude. the person, Rich Arnold. So Rich Arnold told me to, dude, dude, you gotta do like freaking out like on the phone, dude, you gotta <laughs> go watch this. Like so, I was like, all right, but I was so hyped on it, and I I started watching, it and I was like. Oh, okay. It's it's a great story, but like you know, the the two minutes of Rich like blathering on about it was like, oh my god, I can't wait to watch. He was like, dude, uh, just put it to the this way. Like this this lady gets her arm ripped off in the first episode, and immediately he's <laughs> like, just let's put it this thing. That's the least fucking interesting thing that happens. He's like, <laughs> but Kelly and I watched it together, and I was like, okay, I can see why it's like this, but. Did you ever see that one, um, the the weird and wonderful whites of West Virginia? I think it's what. It yeah, was. Yes, it was the like Jackass it. program. Exactly. So it's those. Yes, movies. yes, yeah. There's sure. very much. There's a lot of similarities there. There's meth is really what's tying the two families <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of, of show together. Methamphetamine like, seems yeah, to be a, a, a common denominator it, with all of this. Meth creates a, a, a certain type of crazy. Oh, you know, yo, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, these people have lost it yo and it's you don't eat and you're up for days and and it's the thing is is, it's not as shocking because you're like they're meth heads anything can happen that and that's it's it makes their behavior wildly entertaining like yeah for whatever it's you know whatever detractors it has it makes it really fun to watch these people behave because like you said josh it's unpredictable you literally have no idea what's coming next and the thing is is i don't know the confidence of some of these people, like when they're doing things, I'm like, who the fuck does this? Like, I always thought of, uh, there was an old uh, comedian. I remember he was telling a story about how, like, when he used to do, it was either meth or coke, but he would get all speeded out. And he's like, dude, he's like, the confidence I had when I was doing those drugs was, like, unbelievable. Like, I would see, like, be on the highway, and he's like, let's just say, for example, like, a plane landed next to me. I would be like, oh, okay, I'd get out and be like, oh, your plane's having trouble? Let's take it a pop open the hood. Let's take a look real fast. Like, he's like, (laughs) immediately, you know you have no idea how to do this, but you're so full board. Like, let's just jump in. Let's see what happens. Because it, I guess, you know, it completely ruins your inhibitions, so you're just like, fucking, let's just go. (laughs) If you were a psychologist, and, like, I was, like, down and out, and I was in the chair and you were like, this is the kind of confidence I can give you right <laughs> yeah. now. I would smoke meth. Immediately. I have to do it. It's an immediate like, decision. God damn, that sounds great, dude. You wouldn't care. I would feel like that. You wouldn't care. You'd be like, turn on the juice, man. I'm ready. Like, yeah, let's go sell some fucking beer. <laughs> yeah, I got to try that. No, no, so okay. I would just, Folks, I would Josh will be trying meth. We will uh, report back. On the yeah. results, no, yeah, no. we so, should do the next. Let's, let's do another episode right after this, but let's all smoke meth. <laughs> there was a, and then we'll do the episode. This is such a complete <laughs> aside, but do you do you remember that comedian from the eighties and his name was Amazing Jonathan? Yes. Okay. <sighs> so they did. Yeah I, yeah, I think a little bit. He was like half comedian, okay. half magician. Like so, he would do. Yes. Like, yes. So, he looked like a pirate. 
Yes, dude. He used to wear tons of bandanas. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. So there's a documentary on Hulu called, uh, I think it's called The Search for Amazing Jonathan or something like that. But that's a literally one of the <laughs> things that he comes in, like that comes very loud and clear in like the first 30 minutes of this is that he just like goes, oh yeah, by the way, um, he doesn't call it meth. He says speed all the time. But he goes like, yeah, by the way, I'm addicted to speed and just pulls out a pipe and starts smoking in the bedroom. So Whoa. He, the director of this thing um, finds out that not only is there an amazing document, jo- uh, amazing Jonathan documentary that he's filming, there are two other documentary film teams that Jonathan has now <laughs> hired that are supposed to be fucking filming him too. And That's amazing. He gets to the point where he goes, he's like, hey, um, amazing Jonathan goes, I want you to smoke meth on camera, like to the director. And the director's like, why and he's like i will he's like i will make this just your documentary i will just focus on you 100 percent. we will get this thing done but you have to smoke meth with me right now and the the documentary guy's just like all right hold on a second like literally gets on the phone with lawyers and <laughs> gets on, starts wow. talking to people he's like all right they basically said like don't ever do it like they'll do it but like don't do it on camera like in my head i'm going like did you really need to call an attorney to fucking find that out like, did you really no need no, to- no you know like look like, like he was willing that's what that shows it's like i want that guy on my team that's true he's like yeah dude i'm gonna get this shit done all right hold on hold on hold on hold on let's make an adult decision let me call a lawyer you know hey but he was ready to go he's like i'm gonna fucking do it i'm like okay yeah all right anything like that guy anything for the film but yeah so I want that guy on my team shit. so so Josh, yeah, tell us about your intro to hardcore and some of the initial bands that made a, an early impression on you. Snapcase, Strongarm, Zayo. Yes. No, I was a tooth and nail kid, so like Living Sacrifice. Yeah. And um, Embodiment, Focal Point, Embodiment, Overcome. What was like the first show you remember going to? I sad that I don't know the answer to that. I, I I have like vivid, vivid memories of seeing Weezer on the Pinkerton tour. Oh shit! Oh, um, with not a surf. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but um, I don't know if that was my first. Show. I don't know. Do you know like an early hardcore show you went to where you were like, "Wow, this shit's crazy"? I I have to be into this. Because I remember one of the first shows I went I to. It was I like, think I think honestly, I got into the music. Before I saw a show. Okay. Ah. Like I knew I was into it. Now that's interesting because I, my friends, my, like Mike Shaw from This Day Forward, I would hear mm-hmm. the bands in his car and I'd be like, oh, this is a little too much, too much screaming. But then I went to a show and almost died. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, holy shit, I'm hooked. This is it. So you, you took the reverse route. You got into the music. Yeah. Like I, I got into the music. Yeah. Like I got into the guitar. Nice. Uh, that was that, that yeah, that's like that's what got me in because it was like i was a, I, I grew up listening to like my favorite bands were like the pumpkins hum yes the pixies yes. Nice. dinosaur yes. jr rage against the machine helmet and then it's like it just kind of stopped being good, yeah in my opinion there in that like mid 90s type of thing and like a lot i knew a lot of people were into punk and this and that and i like but I just got straight into hardcore because the, the guitars were more technical. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was huge into metal. Like I didn't grow up on Pantera and I didn't grow up on Metallica. But like right. I knew a lot of people that did. You know, right. like mine was much more of coming at it from a grunge. The Pumpkins and Hum, yeah. you know. 
I was coming I'm from this- that place, but then I heard the guitars and I was like, this is fucking cool. I don't understand these vocals, but like, yeah, I, I, like I'm feeling this. Yeah, I never really got into metal like Metallica, Pantera, Slayer. Like I did, I didn't really take that route. I was into grunge. I I dabbled in new metal, and then I got right into hardcore. So that was that was kind of my trajectory. I think it was new metal that I like when it hit new metal in whatever it did. You know, when like Limp Bizkit really started blowing up. Right. I, I turned off MTV. I was just yeah. like, this isn't it. Yeah. Like, yeah, this isn't what I'm looking for. Something's changed. Like, what do we got to get? Like, where, where's, where's the, like, there must be something else. Were you in any other bands before Hope's Fall or was that like, was I, that I, it? I was, I was in one band. Like, I mean, we were like 16 maybe. And one of the guys that was in the very first iteration of Hope's Fall, his mm-hmm. name was Chris Kincaid. And he had a band called One Amazing Kid. And like, we played, me and Ryan both played with him and Adam Morgan eventually started playing with him. And Adam and Ryan are two of the other members that started Hope's Fall with Chris initially. And like, we'd all kind of played together and then, and then Hope's Fall, but Hope's Fall, I mean, was really honestly the only serious band I was ever in. So you're a freshman in college and you know, you can hear, I went back and listened to that first record and you, and so you're, that's one question I wanted to ask you is it, cause I'm a, I'm a hum devotee myself. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you are too. And you can yes. hear, you can hear that early influence on the first record and tracks like lament and from your hands. You have your typical late nineties sounding, uh, screamy hardcore. Yeah. And then there'll be like tracks that just do the whole ethereal hum thing. And so was that your influence there? That was everybody that like I was playing with all rode that same wave from nice. like grunge into like tooth and nail bands into mm-hmm. hardcore. Okay. Like all of us were riding the same wave. There was a lot of crank. I remember, uh, not crank, uh, you know, it was crank mail order catalog, but like alongside, so I should have qualified this statement alongside of that hardcore influence. We were also getting hit up with like cursive and promise ring okay. and, yes. you know, like all, like all that, like early emo simultaneously, like I bypassed punk. I went around punk and went hardcore and emo and that early emo type of thing. Yeah, and and then it's like, and then I started getting into like pop punk and stuff after that, right? But like, yeah, I did that too, and I I see like the the bands you post on like Instagram stories. I think we have very similar tastes because every time you post something, I'm like, I like that, I like that, I like that. Like, <laughs> it's like everything. So we're probably yeah, we're probably on the same way. Did you like Strong Arm? Yes, uh, yes. My, the three of the first bands I got into were Shy Halud, Strong Arm. And like, uh, I think Inside Out and, you know, Shy Halud and Strongarm were like t- two bands Ooh. I was just really, really into. Shy Halud and Strongarm were like stuff we were, we were just like, what, what is this? Like, yeah. who makes music like this? I don't understand it. When you, you know, yeah, when I, I checked out that Shy Halud LP recently, the one on Revelation, uh, Hearts Once Nourished, and, oh, and yeah, I listen to it now even, and I'm like, what is this? Like, <laughs> it's great. There, there, there's nothing else like this. It's well, just. Well, like, you, know, you know what I kind of feel? Well, maybe this isn't. No, but I feel like Counterparts 
mm-hmm. is maybe like the closest thing to a Shia Lude strong arm, in, in my opinion, because it's like super tech and it's super punk too, but it's yeah. just just fucking mean. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's just yeah, it's just tough. So tell us about how the band initially came together and just like leading up to that first record, the frailty of words. We were Ryan and I, so we were the two guitar players and Chris was on bass. Mm-hmm. Doug was the singer. Adam was a drummer. Ryan and I were in college. Adam was in high school. Chris lived in Charlotte. Doug lived in Charlotte. But me and Ryan lived at universities like two hours away. So we would drive home on the weekends to practice. And then Ryan and I both transferred to UNCC. Mm-hmm. And then we were oh, like after that summer. And that was like the summer of 1998. And then we just started writing a record right then. But we didn't know we were writing a record. We were just like, okay, here we go. Let's start making songs. Like, right. Go. And then when you have a record, we didn't know. You know, like, so, like, we would get together on, like, weekends and, uh, and, and jam and just write. And that was it. Like, we didn't know. I I don't think we, I really don't think we had an agenda. We knew we were going to try to be in, like, a hard, in the hardcore scene. Right. Because it was like, we wanted to be in a band. Right. But, like, we were like, okay, well, these guys can play, like, these people get shows. So, like, let's be in, like, that kind of band. I got you. You know, so did was that the first record you ever had out? That yeah. first that first Hope's Fall record. How did yeah. that feel? Because I remember when I when I was younger, you know, everyone I knew was in bands, and I thought I thought being in a band would be the solution to like all my problems, and just you know that would be the answer to my happiness. So yeah. when I was finally in a band and we finally had an EP out that like I could show people, that was like everything to me. So like, yeah, how did it feel for you to have a record and be like, hey, here's my record? It felt it, it felt great, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, I grew up, like, working from, like, the yeah. age of, like, 14. Like, mm-hmm. and and so it was just, like, it was, like, one more thing that had to fit into it. It was extremely satisfying. But it's, right. like, I so think, was it though, not like, like, I was in college. I had, like, a, a, a pizza delivery job where I was, like, working 35 hours a week. And wow. it was, like, it was just, like, this is what I can fit into my life and, and just, like... It was really great and really fun, but it was also like, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get back to work. So it's like, so it wasn't the end really, all. Like, no, it wasn't the end all be all. It was like this because is just was, one other thing I'm doing. It, yeah, because it was like, yeah, I've got like, yeah, like I can, I'm in college, I can pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Right. So the next EP, No Wings to Speak of, that uh-huh. was that that. Now I still listen to that regularly that was a that was a big leap forward did, did you record that and like send it around to labels or or no. was that how, how tell us about how that came together so it, like the timing of this is 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 foggy because like 1998 to 2001 was a long time ago oh yeah <laughs> um somehow we ended up playing take hold fest in birmingham alabama and i think it was like us and I mean, us and Under Oath and Between the Buried and Me. And, like, we met, we met Chad from Take Hold. And, like, mm-hmm. he, knew, he knew us. He was just like, yeah, like, let's do it. Because we we'd done that one on the, this other small label. But 
like that guy was just like, it was a one and done type of thing. Right. And, uh, and so take hold was like, it seemed like a good home for us and they had bands that we liked. Yeah. And then like, yeah, we just, we wrote those four songs. I can't, I think it was maybe the summer of 2000 or like the, the fall semester and then spring semester of night uh, of like two end of 2000, beginning of 2001. Mm-hmm. And then we recorded it, I believe, in like May or June of 2001. And then it came out that year, that August. And that was Furnace Fest. I remember yeah, delivering a lot of pizza and we were playing the songs. And like we were, we were at that point where, you know, like we were trading shows with other bands and other places. Like, so on like spring break and Christmas break and summer break, we would do a week of. We did like a 10 day tour with like misery, uh, not misery signals, seven angels, seven plagues mm-hmm. one time. And then, um, sky came falling. We met saved by grace back then under oath, like ludicrous. And then became Norma Jean. Like it was, oh, yeah. it was, did yeah. you do a lot of touring with, uh, with that initial lineup? We did, but in that format, never like full us. It was like, okay, we got 10 days. Gotcha. How many shows gotcha. can we get together? You know? Right. We did that a bunch of times. How did you get catch the attention of Trustkill? I know they reissued that EP, right? It, it was that EP. Yeah. That was the EP. It, it got their attention. Because we had a, like, I think we had a, like, Chad was just like, yeah, let's just put out an EP. I don't, I don't know if there was, I can't even remember. Did we have a deal? I don't know. Yeah. Or if he was just like, yeah, I want this on my label. And we were like, well, we want to put something out. And he was like, all right, let's make it happen. But then, yeah, so that, that EP got us on trust kills radar so how did that feel because at the time like trust kill had poison the well yeah they were it like you know if it was me i'd be like yeah we're on trust kill like shit's gonna happen you know how did you feel moving into into that whole thing i like i think that we were we were stoked because it was like it was only a three record deal and like solid state wanted to do like a five record deal uh and 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 we were like in solid state, it's got like kind of a Christian background and so do we, but we're trying to get away from that. So right. I think, you know, like all those two things together is a shorter deal. And it was like, it's definitely not a Christian label. Like we're, we're moving out of that background. Right. You know, I think that was, that was also weighing heavily on us. Right. Like we want to wh- be away from that. About that. What, what was it like? I mean, were certain members, practicing the faith when you were younger and as, as you got older you just kind of moved away from it or i think yeah we all like that's we all met at a youth group like we all went to church together oh, okay. and we were all the kids like passing around the alternative music it was like i remember going to like church camp when i was like in the fifth and sixth grade and like me and ryan the other guitar player we'd always sit next to each other on these buses and we'd go to like gatlinburg tennessee or Panama City, Florida, or something, and we would just yeah. sit there for like the ten-hour bus trip. And he would bring his book of CDs, and we'd just listen to like Siamese Dream, and then like Rubberneck by the Toadies, and then like Filters record, then Helmets record, you right. know. And then like and, and like we'd just listen to music for ten straight hours, and then we get yeah. there and we were like, "That was awesome! I can't wait to do it on the way back too." And we just <laughs> listen to the records, you know. Um, yeah, I I myself have uh, twelve years of Catholic school in me, and and Tommy even more. So I remember like being on field trips and uh, 
and uh, yeah, you know, you, yeah, passing and CDs it. back and forth. I oh, remember yeah. like getting my hands on Evil Empire and just being like, "This is oh, the best." Yeah, like, dude, yeah. that record. I so, that. but yeah, and I think that just like everybody, like you know, that was where we met. But I think as everybody got older and like went to college and started working, it was like, oh, the world's just doesn't add up. It's not exactly like what I thought that it was going to be like. And then, yeah, you, then you start to travel and you just start to see a world and it was like, hey, you know, this isn't really representative of me. Anymore. Right. Um, but then that. And yeah, let's get away from that. But the whole like so then that move to Trustkill was like a definitive statement like oh we're not a Christian band anymore like that's yeah we're we're we're, we're yeah we've moved on from that that's all right <laughs> cool because that's like that's yeah. one of those things where like you don't often get people like I mean you know there's always that idea of like there's a band and then it's like okay well then there's the perception of the band like you know this is a makeup of five people but like we have a we have an image we have you know all these things that go along with it and there's there seems to be people that are like really good at that and can like see what that looks like and how to alter it and and do well with it and then there's other people that are just like ah, i don't fucking care <laughs> like <laughs> let's just make music yeah and i remember yeah i remember when when you're younger some of that stuff used to be a big deal i don't know it's like yeah. but for me for me not so much like zeo was a christian band and i i just never really cared they just put out oh, fucking awesome awesome yeah no it didn't like, mean that like christian band like there yeah zeo was freaking great and like yeah. i mean there was so much good like having strong arm geez yeah, like, overcome dude, like there's yeah there's like they were, they were awesome that like that was never the issue it was just like yeah. hey it's like this, this like ethos and this, this belief, like this isn't what I'm about anymore. Like, and, yeah, and plus, it's fine I feel if you like, are, but like, I'm not. And like, I need to, I need to get away from that because that's how I came up and okay. the world is just different. Yeah. Like I need to move and I on think, from that. I think you hopes fall made that switch before early enough that like it didn't really become a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when I heard about you guys, I kind of heard, Oh, they used to be a Christian band. Not that I cared, but it was like, yeah. I don't know. It wasn't like tied into your legacy in my mind when I well, discovered you. Yeah. Well, it was one of those things that like, it felt important to get away from back in the day. Right. So we just didn't want to, yeah, we just didn't want to be that. We didn't want to be judged. You know, Based we didn't want to be lumped that. into yeah. that. It's like, fine. Yeah, we're going to tour with all those bands. We're going to be a part of that scene. Like we toured, right. we did tours with Under Oath and, you know, like they were great, you know. Okay, so we're moving into the recording of the Satellite Years on Trustkill. Now, the band experienced a couple member changes. We lost the old, old vocalist, Doug, and founding member, Ryan Parrish. So what happened? Was it just, was it like a creative decision or... You know, people just had differing ideas of where the band was going to go or what What was the story there? Well, we just like, so Doug was going to work. He was like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, we're, like I'm going to work. And he's like the band, he, he he was like, you know, like I can scream, but I can't sing. But mm-hmm. like, I think he kind of saw that, like, you know, we're going to eventually move in a, 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 like kind of r- more rocking yeah. Roll direction, right? Whatever that is, alternative rock, you know, like hummy kind of stuff. Yeah. Like we always wanted to do that too, and so we just like kind of made it part of the whole thing, you right. know? Because it was like, well, yeah, we're super into these types of bands, and so and Doug did really was like, ah, I want to work, like make money, like I want to have a career, and um, and so Jay came in, uh, and he had, he was my roommate in college for a while. 
at UNCC, but then he went to Oklahoma, but then he, he, he quit Oklahoma, came back, joined the band in like November of 2001. And then we went to the studio in April of 2002. And then Ryan left the band right after that. And that's just like, it's just a long story. Yeah, but like if we were to get to like all the other, give me give me like the two sentence, give me like the three sentence version if you don't want to go into the whole thing. Yeah, no, I mean it's just it's a really long story, you know. (laughs) And so it's like, but basically what it came down to is like he he wanted to go, I think, musically even in a different direction, right? You know, and yeah, so eventually he ended up in Celebrity in Mm -hmm. Nashville. Y'all know that band celebrity It is freaking awesome. Like, like, yeah, like they're super like dreamy. So he still puts out music with those guys. They have a band called in parallel and they just did like a five song EP. That's getting mixed with Ken Andrews, like Ken Andrews from failure mixed it. Oh, Oh, like, yeah. And they're going to get it. They're, they're going to put it out, but like, he just went in the more like dreamy shoegazy direction. Gotcha. You know. So how how did you come? How did you meet new vocalist Jay Forrest? Oh, we knew him from, since high school, and he came and hung out in the same parking lot at the youth group. Oh, uh-huh. like, yeah, that we were all part of. So like we'd known him for years. So there's this video floating around. This is like a a dream, like crafted solely for me. There's this video floating around of you guys recording Satellite Years. Now you're recording Satellite Years. You know, it's a brand new LP coming out on Trustkill, which is a, a big label at the time. Matt Talbot is recording it, uh-huh. and you and you guys are like playing Goldeneye. Like, <laughs> yeah, that that's essentially like a dream custom tailored that, for me. Like that just that's the Keith, that just seemed like a great. That's time. the Keith. Yeah. yeah, he had a great. No, he had this really awesome studio in in Tolono, Illinois, and like we would record all day, and then like we'd go upstairs at night because you could sleep there, and that was like part of it. It was cool. Yeah. Like, uh, like you play Goldeneye. So he, he'd like come up and play Goldeneye with us sometimes after we were done. <laughs> was he any good? Uh, Chad, our bass player was by far the best. He, he pretty much took everybody to school. He's like, dude, I spent two years of college playing this game. <laughs> I used to, I used to be so good. I had the respawn points memorized in the order you would respawn. So yeah. like there, there was just no way you could beat me. Yeah. It was, it was awesome, but That's terrible fantastic. for the other players. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, how was it recording with Matt? That's like that's like a dream for me. You know, it, it was great. It was it was awkward at first because we were such big fanboys. Yeah, and like and like, did he have to tell you to like chill out or anything? Yeah, like a bit. <laughs> and like and and like he was like he was going through some like stuff in his own life at at the same time that we had like just arrived and it was our first, like we had just gotten out of college. We'd all graduated college. It was like first time making the record. Like like getting 15 days in the studio. And so it was just a lot to take in. And like, you know, the first couple of days were a little rough, but then we hit our stride and then That's we had always a lot of fun, goes. you know, yeah. and then it was just yeah. like, okay. And everybody was excited, you know? Yeah. So, so, uh, I read that he agreed to do vocals on uh, escape pod for intangibles. Cause, cause you beat him in a match of gold. Chad, true? Chad just, Chad did. yeah. He talked all this shit and Chad was just like, I got, okay, well, you're so <laughs> confident. <laughs> it's like you're singing on one of our songs if I whip your ass and he just smoked him. <laughs> that's, that's fucking beautiful. And that yeah. you know what that's when I I discovered you on that tour 
you, you were on a part of that tour with This Day Forward and Not Waving But Drowning, and I think Open, Open Hand, Hand was on it too. This yeah. was August of 2002. Now, I had never heard Hope's Fall. I don't even know if I had heard of Hope's Fall, but the, the first date... Dude, where the, the tour, fuck were you? <laughs> dude, I know, man. I was like up my own ass. But uh, the first date of the tour was in... We were in Philly. Now, I was so hungover. Oh. Like, I didn't, go in, I didn't go into the show. I was just <laughs> sitting outside with a bunch of people. And uh, I was like, uh, we're on tour with them. Like, I'll, I'll see everybody 10 times. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting outside and I hear you guys playing and I hear that long melodic interlude in End of an Era. Uh-huh. And I was like transfixed by it. I was like, I, I got to hear these guys. I got to see these guys. So I think you gave Brendan, who was then in This Day Forward, now uh-huh. in Circus Survive, I think you gave him in advance of the album. So one night after one of the shows he was showing me the album and he played the song that Matt Talbot guessed yeah. on. Yep. Escape Pod. Escape Pods. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, this is really good. And I had never heard of hum. So like Brendan showed me hum and, and I just, again, was transfixed. So it was like this, you know, this coming together of all these, these things. And it was, uh, it was awesome. And yeah, like, that was our favorite band, dude. Like, yeah. yeah I mean, and, like it literally at one point I remember, cause we went through a lot of member changes and so yeah. it got to the point where it was like, the rule is basically you've got to like hum and you've got to have nothing else to do. Like, <laughs> like, like cause then like, if we got to go on tour, we're going on yeah. tour. Like, this is what Those we're were the same uh, priorities for, for my band. I yeah. put out a record two years ago and I gave them two records in the studio. You know, you like give them records to say uh-huh. like, what do you want to sound like? One was uh, you'd prefer an astronaut and one was Arbiter. Your record. Oh, rad. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that, but let, uh, I'm on satellite years now. So that that record comes out. Now, you know, that was that's like a classic record. I kind of dropped, I kind of lost touch with hardcore around that time. But satellite years was one of the last records that I got into. It, and I still listen to it to this day. Like whenever I listen to it, it brings me right back to like coming home from tour, September, like you know, 2002. It's like a, it's like a time machine dropping right in there, and you know, things really started happening for you guys. You're on, you're on tours and uh, Hellfest, and they they filmed that video for you. So, like, I mean, how did you feel during that time? Like, what was going on? We were just touring and and and, and doing it, and like, just like we were hungry. We were like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. What, like, what can we do? You know? Yeah. We're just did like you feel trying like- to go. Did you feel like, man, this is really happening? Like, this is awesome. We we were, yeah, we were hopeful. Like, we were, yeah, we we were excited about it. Like, we we're like, oh, maybe maybe this is going to take us places, you know? Yeah, and maybe we'll get to actually do this for a while. Did you have to work like regular jobs? Oh when yeah, you came back from tour. Or oh were you yeah, on tour the whole yeah. No, that like yeah. I mean, we go on for three months and then come home for like 17 days and i was really fortunate like i had this awesome boss at this pizza place that i worked at and i'd be like rick i've got i'm gonna be gone for like 55 days and then i'm gonna be (laughs) home for like 18 days but i need to work doubles every all of those 18 days and you'd just be like god damn it (laughs) but he would like (laughs) let me do it and like because he liked me he was like he, like, and you know, I was a hard worker. And so he was like, yeah, okay. Like you can do that. And it's like, I swear if it wasn't for like stuff like that, I don't know how we would have made it work. 
Were there any really memorable shows during that time? Was there, or was it like all just kind of a blur? Like, I mean, the, the, no, the tours were, you know, those years just like, there's so many memories, but it was so long ago also. Right. Like, but, um, it, yeah, like it, I don't remember kind of a, a lot blur, of it. It's a blur in my mind now, but I remember how vivid and alive it was like, and, and exciting it felt then. You know, like I remember really feeling alive, like we're touring, we're seeing the world, like we're doing it, you know, and just being yeah. like, maybe we're going to get to make like, we just want to make another record and keep traveling. And then, right. then, you know, and then that was it. That was like, that's what we did for the next however many years. Like six know? more years Jesus. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Two, 2007, so, we ended. We ended. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was like so another then, five years where it was like, that was life. Touring, recording, fitting, trying to fit in jobs to put, put it all together so you could just keep feeding the dream. A-Types, the next record. Now, we, we've, we lost a few members, mm-hmm. and, and it was a, a shift in sound for the band. So was the member change... Uh, did people drop out just because they couldn't do it anymore, or did you guys disagree? Yeah, it was like on, the, it was like, like the, the no, it was more about just like oh my god, like I can't I can't keep going at this pace type of situation. Right. We lost a couple guys because of that, um, and you know, but like I think that everybody that you know, I actually I know for a fact that everybody that was ended up coming on board, we were all coming from the same mindset. Like Mike, that became our bass player in between, you know, satellite years and, um, a types, he was our merch guy, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was just like, Oh, he gets it. Like he, he knows what's, what's up. Like, and he can play like, all right, Right. you want to do it? Let's do it. You know? And so, and then, uh, Dustin came from saved by grace. Uh, and like, we knew we were into the same shit. We were into mineral and hum and, hate breed (laughs) 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 those are like it was like okay yeah all right we all get it like there needs to be more bands that combine all three of those well yeah we'll 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 get something started after this yeah so (laughs) so so there was a shift in sound too now it's still hope's fault like you you still hear you know the signature brigham sound in there but it but it but it was a shift in sound was that as a result of new members or did we say like we're going to try to go into a different direction it, or it both? was it was new members but it was also like hey we want to write like some rock and roll songs like yeah like we were like let's try our hand at that like let's do it like we can do whatever we want like this yeah. is this is what we want to let's do these are the ba- these are the bands we're like influenced by and and what we like and it's like let's try this you know it was like cave-in was a huge influence on us and stuff like that and uh but it was like we always felt like well our music had like spacey rocky vibes to it like that we were never really a hardcore band right like we had some heavy riffs but we weren't necessarily a hardcore band Right, never in the sense of like poison the well or other metalcore bands like it was always more on the hum side of things and spacey and, you know, like it not was a heavy, lot of but it was spacey, yeah. Yeah. you know? And it yeah. was like, okay, well, we're just going to do, we're still going to keep it heavy and spacey, but we're going to try to like write melodic lyrics over it because like our favorite bands do that. Yeah. Like, and we want to do that too, you know? Right. And, and so, and it was different 
for a, a lot of people. I think we lost a lot of people with that. It, you know, we were like, well, man, this is what it is, man. Like, we're not, we're not doing this. Like, at the end of the day, we wanted to travel and make music and record. But at the end of the day, the payoff is making music and recording. Oh, yeah. travel's a bonus. But it's yeah. like, all right, like, what kind, what music do you have inside of you that you want to make? And it's like, when we would get in a room and play, it's like, that's what it was. It was never, never any, I mean, yeah, we want to make, like, make songs that sound, you know, like our other influences besides hardcore bands, because we love that shit. We love spacey rock. But it was like, we said, okay, well, we can do that too. But it wasn't ever like, okay, well, we're, we're putting something aside. We're not going to play like this. If the part got heavy and screaming, you're like, great. But it was mm-hmm. like whatever ha- kind of came out was what came out. Yeah, you're not going to like force it in because yeah, it was we like have let's to get be a hardcore band. Like we got a jam, and it's like when everybody's looking at each other and they're like, "Yep, this is what we're doing." Like you know, you know when you're when everybody's happy and vibing, and you know when it's like, "Oh, we're pushing it here. We're forcing this." Right. And it was like that felt natural. That's what so how did you feel once the record came out and what what kind of reception did it get because i i like i disappeared into like partying and you know i got really into post rock so i lost touch with with the music for a while but how'd you feel about it before it came out were you nervous and then like how was yeah the reception? we were definitely like we were definitely nervous but like we also were happy with it you know at, 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 at we were happy with parts of it there was i mean there was some production things that like we wish that we'd gotten more time to do a little bit different, but like mm-hmm. overall, like looking back on it, I'm super nostalgic about that record because it was an exciting time, you know, and it was like, okay, we're taking a chance here and we're doing something different, but we liked it and we we're like, yeah, let's go do it. And that's that. Yes. Like, some of my favorite songs are on that record. And I think, uh, of, of the times, you know, Caven, I think was a big influence on everyone. Yeah. So a lot of people were toying with changing up their sound and, you know, Caven is like a, like a foundational band for me. And they're the band that got me into hardcore. Caven was the shit. I mean, they were, they were the fucking real shit. Like, yeah, they're a band's band. Yeah. They're the, they're just so they're, good. They're just, they're fucking good. Oh just yeah. Real they're fucking just good. <laughs> they're just like modern day heroes in yeah, my mind. Yeah. Like all, all time classics. Now I know you had some problems with Trustkill. Everyone knows that, but like, what? When did? What were some of the first things that happened where you're like, "Hmm, this is odd." So I like, I, I want to answer your question, but I want to yes. do it briefly. Briefly, you know? yeah, because it's, it's like, okay. Yeah, no, like, 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 there's more. There's more. Like, I'd rather talk about good yeah. times. I, you know what absolutely. I mean? Like, I'd rather remember it fondly and go on good times. <laughs> There were some things that happened on tour. Things didn't come together the way we thought it was going to come together. Yeah. Whether there was some miscommunication there or whatnot, like, hey, but it didn't happen the way we thought things were going to happen. And it was just like, okay, like, this sucks, you know? And like, we can't make any money. And, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to ever make any money. And then that was a huge weight over everybody's shoulders. And, you know, it, yeah, it was just, it was a, you know, it was a weight. It was right. you know, the albatross, I guess. But like, um, but you know, like we went on, we made Magnetic North. We we all like worked really hard on that and took like ten months to like get into that and write it and we're really proud of it. 
And, you know, I, I think that might be that. overall my my favorite. It's hard to pick yeah. a favorite, but overall, I think Magnetic North might be my favorite. That is, you know, it just it just all around a great record. Thank you, thank you. No, yeah. it's a dark record. I, it's yeah. one of the hard. It's harder. For, it's hard to listen to that record for me sometimes. Is there I just a lot of like personal anguish in it? Yeah, that you put into it. Yeah. yeah, we were all going through a really dark time. You know, so, and it's it's all uh, to me. It's all there in the in that record. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and you can hear it because I I I myself went through some dark times and discovered that record and connected with it. But a little more on that. Later. Yeah, I was going to so, say, Keith, you, know, you got to get back to that because yeah. that's one of those things that this is how we bonded over the uh, over you guys over this uh, over Hope's Fall was Keith was like, you have to listen to this band, and I was like. All right, calm down. Like, what is in it? The, he sold me on it so hard, but we'll, we'll get back to that. I'm sorry. We're gonna get back to that. So, just like your buddy I, Rich, no, yeah. like you gotta watch <laughs> yeah, this no, show. <laughs> you gotta watch this fucking show, man. You have no idea. You're gonna rip like, your fucking arm off. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me some of leading up to recording Magnetic, Mag- Magnetic North. So it sounds like everyone's going through a rough time. Like where, where's everybody's head at? Like to lay out some of the situation for me. We just got, we got off warp tour and lost a ton of money and, 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 mm-hmm. and just, you know, the, the, the like we, we weren't getting, you know, as an A type. So we weren't getting like a good response from it, but like we mm-hmm. all believed in it and was having like wanted to make music and, you know, it just wasn't going our way. And, you know, you right. have your ups, you have your downs. And, and we we're just like, okay, well, it's time to regroup and go write the record we want to write. And we lost a couple more people. And, or no, 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 we lost a drummer and then got another drummer. And, and, and it was like, okay, let's do this. And we, we, so, we worked the whole time, lived in Charlotte, worked, practiced like 20 hours a week for like 10 right. months and wrote so, it. The band ended shortly after that record came out, right? Right, right. So what? What are the? What are, as much as you want to share? What are the circumstances around that? Was everyone just, just burned I'll say, out? Or? I'll say this: like my favorite song from the Magnetic North sections isn't on Magnetic North, like mm-hmm. on the like the official release of it until later. Let's see here. Hold on. I don't think they did. They end up putting out the vinyl with it. It had Saskatchewan on it, but I don't think that's such a good song. I don't think it's on the, I'm looking on Spotify right now. It's not, it's not. Yeah. It's not on there. Still not on there. I always have to go to YouTube to listen to it. And that was my favorite song. I was like, okay, (laughs) well, if I don't get to put my favorite song on the record, then I'm done. Bye. And that that was it. That was it. I walked away. Right. That was it. That's my song is not my favorite song is on the record. Fine. Yeah, and I, I didn't. I didn't put in all this time and effort for that. Like, no thanks. I'm over it. <laughs> right, and that was it. And, it, and that was it. The really, end. it really is a, a fantastic song. I was happy that you guys played that when I uh, when I saw you at St. Vitus. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. No, and that was a point. We were like, we we're definitely playing that fucking song. Oh yeah, you got yeah. to. So. so the band's over. Now this this band has been your life for like, nine years. Nine years know. at this point. Not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What is your mindset like? Or do you did you have any idea of what you were going to do? Like, how did you how did you deal no, with it? Not at all. I the way I describe it is, I felt like a uh, I got dis dishonorably discharged from the army. Oh, yeah. and now I'm just a fucking civilian again. Yeah, and I have yeah. no direction, and I'm not a part of any team, and nothing special about me. And time to get to work. 
That's and that was it. That's devastating though, because you've lived a life yeah. where you think like it's nearly a decade where you're like, all right, it's going to happen. Now we're doing. Now we, you know, now we're doing what we want to do, and it's like then to have it all kind of crumble and then have to start from square one. Like that's it's such a like I so I, I wish it, I, Keith knows this about me, but um, so I I went to law school for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Uh-huh. And it was one of those things where like all of my friends were like, oh, yeah, Tommy, he's real smart. He's going to go to law school. And I just I, I hated it. Like I hated everything about it. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do like I, it. I just couldn't stand it. And then to me, like I went, I finally just had to be honest with it and go like, look, this is not what I want it to be anymore. So I don't want it. I'm not doing it anymore. But to have everyone yeah. else come back and be like, yeah, but that's what you are like you've defined yourself a certain way for a long period of time. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. And then in a, in a moment, it's, it's, yeah. it's completely different. It's so it's, it can be like, uh, it's one of those things though, that I think that's where a lot of change in my life that like, I'm pretty sure you had those real moments. Like after the band was done, you were just like, you just sit down and kind of take stock of what you do have. You're like, shit. All right. Well, what's my next move? Like, where do I go from here? And what do I have to be able to do that? So yeah, what was the I, first job you, you had like after the band? Well, was I still, I always had the pizza job. So then I got another pizza job during the day <laughs> and a pizza yeah. job during the night. And I saved up a bunch of money. And then I went and did, I sold merch on warp tour okay. for mm-hmm. a, a record label. And I did that for like five weeks or so. And I saw, I hung out with Circa a lot. Um, during that tour and yeah. then, um, but I had like bought a, a plane ticket to Europe and I just went backpacking through Europe for like, I sold everything I own. Wow. Yeah. Like moved back in with my parents for like six months, just mm-hmm. worked seven days a week. And then I was like, I'm going backpacking through Europe wow. until my money runs out. And yeah. when I get back home, I'll figure it out. And I just got a bartending job. And yeah. then I met, and then I ended up meeting my wife shortly thereafter. And then that really like kind of just set me on a different course, like meeting my wife. How did you meet your wife? She was a friend of a friend. And um, yeah, like eventually like my, my, my friend Cassie uh, got me in touch with her. And uh, it was at a point where I was like, I was considering moving to like Washington DC and like, you know, just pursuing other things. And, and then I met her and then it was like, Oh, well, I guess all my plans are changing now. Right. And, and like, <laughs> It was like pretty immediate for me. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to, this is, this is now the most important thing in my life. So I'm just going to follow this and see where it takes me. And so, yeah. And like, so we met, I went on one final tour with my friend, Anne. Uh, I was just her driver and merch guy for a band that she was managing from Norway. Mm -hmm. And so I met my wife in like November the tour was like end of December, beginning of January. And I had planned to move to DC in like the end, like February 1st. And I got back from that tour and I was like, Nope. So, so did you, did you have any desire to like start up a new band or get involved with it, with another band? I, I was like, I am going to reinvent myself. I'm not doing music. <laughs> I literally had that thought. Like, like I, 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 I've played my last riff. Like that's, I'll, I'll never play again. That's that the was same my thing, mindset. That's the same thing Tommy did. Me, I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I was out. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was, I was chasing the dragon. I'm like, I need to be in another band, a better band, a band that more suits me. So I was always like chasing it. But Tommy 
he did one band and he was like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I was like, all right, like I, I remember, um, so I played, I did another band a little bit after the band with Anthony and, uh, it was just actually it was a girl I was dating at the time. It was her younger brother played drums and they were like a new metal band. And he was like, they broke up. He was like, Hey, I want to play music with you. And I was like, all right, well at this point in time, I was really into things like, um, uh, I was super into, you remember grade that was, Oh, I love grade separate the magnets under the radar. Yes. So I was fucking super hype on that. And this kid was such a solid drummer. I was like, Oh, I want to play with him. But it was always a joke, like nothing. We literally called ourselves um, like Jean-Claude Van Damme or some goofy shit, like something we came up when we were like literally like smoking weed in a parking lot when we were like, yeah, you know, 17. So it it was really fun. But like after that, when everybody was like, hey, you want to start a band? I was always like, no, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> like it, it was never like a, like it didn't cross my mind. It was an immediate like, no, I don't ever want to do that again. That, that was an awful experience. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at it at with it now finally. Uh unless unless my existing band it might still happen with Tommy and, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I like that band. Drummer, you know? <laughs> yeah. So if if I can if I can do that with you guys, I'll do it, but if not, uh, I'm done cuz it's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the thought it's, of it's, starting a new one, it's like, no. It's a weird thing. I mean, it, it, like I was just like determined that you know, and it, I mean, this is like my own like ego, like, like I'm not going to let that be the best thing that I do with my life. Like, yeah. fuck that. Like, I love that. Because yeah. there is so much like, it, it, you know, there's so much negativity at that point surrounding the band and music. And I was just like, fuck this dude. That's like, so, like, that's like I'm, a- I'm out. I'm fucking out. Like I am starting over whatever that is. Like, and that's where I, I, that's where I had to go. Cause I, um, and it sounds, I don't know. Like I had to get like angry to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I this just sounds so fucking dumb, dude, but like quoting old hardcore lyrics for you guys, one came down. <laughs> no, fans. please. Oh yes, my God. Remember, no. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, do you remember the one, the one song where it was like, there is more hate than fear. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It was like, and like yes. a bunch of shy lewd lyrics and stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> you gotta get angry and you gotta fucking change. Like, I still read the lyrics to more hate than fear. And I, yeah. I get like so pumped. He's like, L- now look upon these, these eyes of stone yeah. and how my, and how my times have hardened me. I'm like, yes, me yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had an immediate yeah, like the, <laughs> I, the the negative stuff from music for me always outweighed the positive shit. So I was always like, I'm never going back to that because I've done it. It was always a zero sum game. Like it's always argumentative with people, and it's always it, it's constant conflict. Let's let's if I can actively avoid that and make my life happier, I'm going to do that every single time. Absolutely. (laughs) And because it's a creative thing. So everybody's got an opinion. You're arguing over opinions, right? There's (laughs) no, a hundred percent. There's no, there's no, there's no no, like standard or objective thing. Well, that sucks. No, it doesn't. It's awesome. No, it isn't. It sucks. And it's just like, these are the arguments essentially just scale it up to like decisions that affect your income then. Oh yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And it was just like, fuck this. No, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. (laughs) But then eventually, so, you know, like a couple of years later, I got talked into playing again. Cause you got you get, you know, like you forget that. So you go long enough being mad. Right. And it fuels you to kind of start over and, and do, I don't know, like whatever it is that you're going to do next. And then like you, you, you get, you put some distance 
between yourself and the band. And then you're like, oh man, remember we were jamming? That was sweet. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, and then that's it. And then you have that, that seed is planted and then you're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so was the next time you played, uh, I know Hope's Fall did a two, 2011 reunion. I think it was like, was it yeah. one or two shows with the, uh, two shows with the, with the original singer? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Doug. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how- with code seven, um, basically code seven, there was a, there was an awesome venue in Winston-Salem called mm-hmm. Ziggy's. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's part of like everybody that was in like the North Carolina punk, hardcore, emo, indie, whatever. Like everybody had been to Ziggy's. Like it was a rad venue, yeah. and it closed, and um, then they were going to reopen it, and uh, and they wanted to do a big kickoff show. And Code Seven was like, "Yo, what do you guys think? Like we're going to do a reunion to be rad if you guys did it too." And we were like, "Yeah, okay, we can do that." And we did just the like the original like old school lineup. Was Ryan a part of that too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, how was it pl- playing together again with the original lineup after all that time? Well, it was original lineup with modifications. Let me, let me make that like and it's seven of us and no six of us ended up playing. Um, mm-hmm. Chad, who was the bass player on the Satellite Years, and then also on Arbiter later, he played bass a couple songs, but then Pat who was the bass player on No Wings to Speak of, played bass on the rest of the songs. Mm-hmm. So there was six of us that got back together. It was it was fun, but it was also like, this is really, well, this kind of leads into an interesting twist and turn. I forgot about Bang Over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. holy was- fuck was my neck sore. Yeah, you know, yeah, that the, after a show, you know, it would just be it would just be like pain for a day. You, like, oh, you can't yeah. move your neck and until you get used to it. Yeah. And so that was, you know, interesting. Right. And about two months later, I slipped a disc in my neck. Oh, how'd that happen? The disc just ruptured in the middle of the night. I woke up screaming. in. Pain. Oh, my God. And my wife was terrified. I mean, I literally woke up out of sleep. So it was like, I must have rolled over in bed Mm -hmm. and the disc slipped. Oh. You know, and it completely dislodged between C6 and C7 and slid into the neural canal uh, leading down my right arm and it paralyzed my right arm. Oh, my God. And I was in like an excruciating pain, like nerve pain. I don't know if you've ever had nerve pain. Or back I don't know issues, if, like severe back issues. I, I have, I, I had sciatica. I mm-hmm. guess I still have it, but it, it somehow just kind of got better. Like it, it used to be in, and if people don't know, that's the sciatic nerve is the biggest nerve in the body. It goes it's from as your, big as your pinky. Yeah, it goes Sick. from your lower right back all the way down your leg. And it's, so it, when it gets pinched, you're just, you know, your leg and your lower back is in constant pain. And I, mm-hmm. I had that going on, but it just kind of went away somehow. Well, it's not, it's not so bad now. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is kind of like, uh, like back pain is something that like also like kind of carried around through the whole band career, you know, like you're, you're always, and this is going somewhere. I'll kind of like just talk this yes. out, but like you're always, you're sitting for eight hours a day in a van, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get out of these cramped positions and you load heavy gear and then you headbang, which is an unnatural movement. 
minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, for 40 minutes. And that's the most physical exercise you're getting typically. And then you load the heavy shit back up and you get back into a van and then you do it all over again. And you do this for years. And a lot of people, and I certainly didn't realize the effects that that, what like, what those positions and those movements, like what it was doing to my body. But like on a long enough timeline, you start to complacently adapt to the positions that you are most frequently in. Mm -hmm. And so for me and uh, like, I was always seated. So my hips were constantly externally rotated. My shoulders were always like, kind of like pitched forward. Like I was wearing my arms a little bit in front of me. And if you do that really quick and you kind of like move your shoulders forward to look at the horizon or just to look straight forward, you've got to lift your head up a little bit. So you're creating compression at the back of your neck. Your shoulders are kind of caved in, rounded forward. And then all that weight is pushing down into the pelvic bowl and your hips are externally rotated. So it's like all of the muscles. And if you ever look at like a skeleton or an anatomical drawing, like, or the dissection or something, you know, it's like the body when they line it up and show it to you is very straight. And it's like, all right, the feet are pointing straight ahead. The shoulders are wide on top of the scapula, you know, like the collarbones sit up on top and your neck is long and straight. And it's like, that's not the position that I was in. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then after the band, I had gained a decent amount of weight and I was like, I was like, I am fat. Like, and I don't want to be fat. And so I started running five miles a day. And wow. if you run, you know, like 25 to 40 miles a week, you'll, you will lose weight. But I was doing this in a compromised kind of way, unknowingly, you know, cause I'm 27, 28 years old. And I'm like, oh, I can run five miles, you know, no problem. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I feel good, mm-hmm. you know? And you know, I had, you know, some lingering back issues and was always getting body work and acupuncture and doing stretches and whatnot. And, um, but then eventually I got this job at this brewery and I was like moving kegs around like for about a year and a half. And then we played this show. And then two months later, I didn't have any like impact injury or, or anything like that. But like my disc ruptured, uh, paralyzed my arm. My dad had to drive me around because I couldn't even drive a stick shift and my dad had just retired. So he drove me around. Wow. And eventually I had to have a surgery where they go in through uh, the front of your neck and they open up the, the, the spine and they put, basically it's like a ball bearing mm-hmm. between the vertebrae, between C6 and C7, which is yeah. your bottom two, you know, cervical vertebrae. And there's like a metal plate screwed into the bottom of the top vertebrae and then another metal plate screwed into the top of the vertebrae beneath it with this ball bearing in between. And so it allows you to still have the full range of motion and it fixed me. And even the neurologist told me, it was like, when you wake up, you'll know it's different, even in your like anesthetic haze. Wow. And so I wake up and I can tell it's like, Oh, I can feel my hand again. Like wow. they, so they go in, they cleaned out all of that disc material that was compressing that nerve, you know, kind of going into the brachial plexus, kind of everything that like controls the ulnar nerve, like, controlled everything in my right arm. And that, so that space was then restored and I was fixed. And I just had to do the physical therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. for the next four months, but my neck is fine. But in the process of this, so they did MRIs of my whole back. And after I got out of the surgery, the doctor's like, you're going for the post-op and the doctor's like, so you have the spinal health of an 80 year old masonry worker. (laughs) Oh my God. He's like, 
He's like, when I look at this MRI, I'm looking at an old man at the end of his life. Jeez. And I was like, that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, wow. what the fuck? He's like, so I was like, why? And he just kind of like shrugs, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like bad genes, you know, like, and my sister had to have back surgery. My parents have both had back surgeries. Uh-huh. So genetically we're not batting a thousand, but let me, but he tells me I have degenerative disc disease. Oh no. Mm. And I believe him. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a runner. He's like, don't do that anymore. <laughs> he's like, I, I'm a, like, so I like mountain biking. He's like, yeah, you should stop that. Like, like right. you are going to 100% need a triple lumbar fusion surgery within the next four years of your life. By the time you're 35, you're going to have to go and have titanium rods implanted in your lower spine. Because ninety oh percent of the disc space is just used up; it's gone. Oh and God. so my life then, over the next four years, kind of became, you know, I was like determined that that wasn't no, like I'm not having that surgery because I watched a family member have that surgery and it's horrific. Like yeah, you're yeah. on your back for six months. They I was put, just going to say, what's the recovery time on something like that? Six months. They Jesus. they cut through the entire posterior chain of muscles on your body. Holy shit! Drill holes through the vertebrae implant titanium rods in there so that the bone ossifies around it and it makes just one giant vertebrae so instead oh. where you had three vertebrae stacked on top with discs in between yeah you just have a now you vertebrae. just have one giant bone so you lose you know and it's not like the lumbar spine is supposed to have a ton of articulation and rotation that's a point where you should be really stable yeah right like you should be moving at the hips and not at the spine um but that takes away any motion you have and then increases the, the uh, you know, just imagine like the torque and the force above and below that joint. So now it would be really degrading. The, the movement would be sending force into the, the, where the sacrum and L5 come together and then like the top of it, which would have been L3, L2. You know, so it would have increased the flexion and extension at those points, which would just further down the road cause your disc to degenerate faster. So, um, you know, I, but I was like, no, it's not gonna be me. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep working out. And like, it, you know, but slowly, but surely it got to a point where I was like, I couldn't do that stuff anymore. I was getting cortisone shots directly into my spine. Holy shit. You know, I was on all, all the painkillers. Um, you know, I were was you doing on good ones like Oxy and Percocet. And stuff? Yeah, I had, yeah, there were times where that, yeah, those were definitely prescribed to me, you know, there you go. but it got to a point where it was like, <laughs> dude, I fucking hate opiates, man. Like I'm, I'm definitely in to drugs. But like, <laughs> like, I, I don't like opiates, you know, like I like the, the plant based. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever, yeah. uh. Did you, so how long were you on opiates? You never like, well, no, 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 I hated it. I mean, like the heavy hitters, I wouldn't get all the time. It would be like when I was like, okay, I'm, I need a cortisone injection. Like, Mm -hmm. and they eventually they were like, you can't have another one of these. Like you've had too many directly into this part of your spine. And I mean, so I would go and lay on a traction table at the physical therapist where they literally lay you down flat, put this harness around your neck and then kind of velcro your feet to a board and you'd be oh, laying yeah. flat and they would literally and it's like it has like a wench like on the front of a truck <laughs> it just, like, crank it up right pulls your body apart and it feels incredible <laughs> because it's like 
Because it's like it's creating space where there isn't space, and so yeah, because you know, your body's been compressed the entire time, and now you're exactly yeah. And that's so crazy. it's like so there's a lot of relief there, and so I'm doing like inversion tables and you know all the physical therapy, and but you know what, nothing is permanent. You know, nothing is providing me any sort of like permanent relief, and it's getting to the point where now it's limiting my motion. Where when I wake up in the morning, my wife has to put my socks and shoes on for me. Because oh, I no. can't bend over for the first two hours of the day. Eventually, I can warm up enough and move enough that through the rest of the day, I can move. And I, if I'm moving, I feel good. But if I'm stationary, I'm in pain. And so every night, you go home and you go back to bed and you wake up and you repeat that routine. And it was getting pretty drastic. And like I'm like, my wife is essentially my caretaker at this point. Oh, like no. I couldn't do my life if I didn't have somebody to help me. You know, and like that was really emotionally and mentally like i mean that takes its toll is like that kind of pain eventually causes you know it fear and when you're in a place of like fear like nothing in your life you know that's that's your baseline it's like oh i don't want to injure myself like subconsciously if like your whole everything about you is protective and cagey and you just kind of become a shadow of yourself Mm -hmm. and um and it was like getting so bad i was like i'm gonna have to have this surgery like and my wife, you know, who is, you know, my care, essentially my dressing me and, you know, like she's researching on the internet. We're looking at all kinds of goofy shit and like, but she finds this book um, called From Pain to Performance. Mm-hmm. And so she orders it for me and the DVDs and she's like, what do you have to lose? Like, yeah, this guy said he fixes back, read this book. Here's some exercises. Why don't you just at least give it a shot? And I'm like, okay, like anything like I'm desperate, like truly desperate. So I, I, I get this book and the guy's got a company, it's called foundation training. And it was a, a doctor, his name's Eric Goodman. And he, um, he was a chiropractor, but also a strength and conditioning coach for the mm-hmm. U S Olympic water polo team, oh, the men's water polo team. And he was like 27, 28 years old. And he was like getting, this water polo team ready for the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and his back slips on him and he goes out and he goes and gets an MRI and it's like, Oh yeah, your sacrum's fusing into L5, L5 fusing into L4. You need a triple lumbar fusion surgery. Same thing that I needed. Yeah. And so he's like, no, I know enough about back surgeries and because of my knowledge of anatomy and my medical training and my study of movement, you know, and being a a health and conditioning and strength coach. He's like, I should be able to like reverse engineer this. And so he uses himself as patient zero and just tries to come up with like a system of like movements and, and and like breathing techniques where literally, because pain, you understand it is the result of compression. Like it's Mm -hmm. the, the nervous system doesn't have the space it needs because the places where it is are collapsing into itself because of your internally rotated shoulders, your neck carrying out in front of you, your hips externally rotated, you're seated all the time, you know? And so it's like, it just, that's not a natural position. Like if you think about the 250,000 years of natural selection that occurred before we invented agriculture and the ability to write our own story down. Like mm-hmm. if you couldn't move, you were a dead. meal. Yeah. You were dead. Yeah. Like in that point, like that's in your DNA. And now, you know, in the 8,000 years since that point, since we like 
you know, developed enough and, and, and like our brains got big enough. And now we've got all these like our cognitive skills. Like we've become by far the most adaptable creature on this planet. And we're the, definitely the dominant species. But like the way you moved back in the day when you were evading tigers and fucking bears and shit, it's like you weren't wearing shoes. You weren't sitting at a desk. Like that's the frame you inherited. 8,000 years isn't long enough evolutionarily to change a species so totally, right? So mm-hmm. we're putting ourselves into all these unnatural positions all the time. And this guy's like, I see these patterns. Like when I look at the whole body and like, I need to develop these exercises to reverse the specific patterns that are the problems that could caused from like sitting and how that just the, the musculature of the body gets a little bit twisted off his asses. And so then when you start adding motion and you start adding weight to that motion, instead of like, connected chains of muscles dispersing force across an entire system with the idea of like tensegrity, um, then force is transferring into a joint or into soft tissue somewhere. So it's like, if you uh, just imagine we've been wearing shoes since our parents put them on our feet when we were two, it's like over 40 years, your hamstring shortens a little bit because you've got this heel, you, you're, you're tilted up, right? So you're losing an eighth of an inch, a quarter of an inch, of space. Well, what that does, it kind of, it tightens the hamstring. So it's kind of ratcheting down. So it's pulling on the back of your body. You know, it's kind of like pulling you a little bit. And then you sit all the time and your legs splay open and all those muscles on the inside of your legs, the adductors, there's five of them, big muscles, big, powerful muscles. Like they just kind of, you lose it, you know? And, and, and so this guy was like, okay, everything that I'm going to teach has internal rotation at the hips, external rotation at the shoulders. And then if you breathe, um, and, and if you, you, you can try this right now, if you take a giant deep breath, like as big as you can, like a big three second inhale in through the nose, like you physically get larger, right? Oh yeah. Like yeah. Chest, yeah. Okay. chest puffs out now. Yeah, exactly. Right. So if you, but it's like now try to take that same deep breath. And when you exhale, tighten the abdomen so that you maintain that space, right? You feel how many muscles turn on in your body. Oh yeah. And like how much is just turned off when you let that breath go and now just sit back into your normal position. It's like those muscles aren't working. They're just there, right? But mm-hmm. if you were standing and moving, like they'd have to participate a little bit more. And so everything was like, imagine your lungs is like a balloon. And when you inflate it, it expands top to bottom, side to side, front to back. Well, your lungs are like a giant balloon inside your body. You have two of them. And so it's like, all right, let's, let's line up the body into these like biomechanically more correct positions to make your movement more efficient. And then let's like hinge a little bit and like, let's add weight, like isometric poses with like eccentric loading where you know the muscle like if you if, if, imagine you're 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 doing a bicep curl right and your mm-hmm. arms out straight when you curl up the bicep contracts right yeah but then when you let it go and, and say you had that weight in your arm and you're doing the negative and you're letting your arm go about straight when the muscle's lengthening when you lengthen it under tension that's a contraction as well but it's an eccentric contraction this is tom brady's whole thing tb12 and all that he does his weight, his regimen is very eccentric um, because it's like, if you think about it, 
the muscle at length that when it contracts, it creates force. When it lengthens, it's absorbing force. So the goal of foundation training is to connect the posterior chain, which is the largest chain of muscles on your body. And it goes from the back of your head to the bottom of your feet. And, you know, get the, those muscles to work together as a team across the entire system. And that's where most people are disconnected from themselves. They sit all the time, you know, the mm -hmm. muscles just adapt to those positions and then they're off axis and they can't connect with their teammates as they were designed to. And so and that's, that's why like 80% of people complain of like back problems, like sciatica and stuff like that. Yeah. The largest nerve in your body enervates from L4, L5 and like shoots off. And again, it's as big as your pinky. And that goes right past like, like the top of your femur and the backside of your, your ass, you know, and there's all these little muscles there, in, 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 particularly the piriformis, which is a very short muscle. That's like a, that like a that like when it contracts, it allows the hip to externally rotate. Right. And the opposite of that is like the muscles on the inside of your legs. Like when they, when you contract them and kind of like, I don't know, imagine like you're rolling your femurs in towards each other. Like you're rolling up a scroll. Oh yeah. yeah. It like lengthens the backside there. So so you just, you know, if that's always, pre you know, if it adapts over 30 years of sitting and that piriformis is then tighter now, you know, just the same way, like your hamstrings got shorter because of those things. So you've got all these little micro things over a lifetime, just pulling on you, putting you into these positions. And so I started reading this and I was like, no wonder I'm so fucked up. Yeah. Like I sat in a van for eight hours a day, lifted heavy shit, head banged lifted the heavy shit again and got back in a van. And I did this for years. And then I started running 40 <laughs> miles a week on top of that. And then I started lifting 150 pound kegs all the time at this brewery. I was like, no wonder my neck. And then that show, no wonder I fucked up my neck. No mm -hmm. wonder. And so it was like a light bulb went off. So what did you do? Like, what were the steps to now? First, let me ask <laughs> through, through the, uh, the skills you learned in, in foundation training, have you been able to, to reverse everything? And like Absolutely. A hundred percent. And to the point where it's like, so I found this at the end of 2014, mm -hmm. um, beginning of 2015. And I was just kind of like doing these movements by myself yeah. at home with the DVD and looking at the pictures in the book and kind of reading it. Mm -hmm. And like six weeks into it, I'm like, Oh, I can tie my shoes again. <laughs> like wow. in the morning. Wow. And, so I started getting into it a little bit more and they have this discovery workshop that's going to be hosted in Charlotte at the end of 2015, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was like $500 for a five hour presentation, but they're going to have like two of like the master instructors from California there. And it's mm -hmm. at this CrossFit gym in Charlotte. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. My wife's like, yeah. you gotta go. You gotta go. You gotta learn more about this, you know? So I go and they basically just the everybody in that workshop was either like somebody in the military whose parachute didn't open or like a former hockey player that had like concussion injuries and like, you know, bodybuilders that were like, you know, past their prime, but just like they were big, strong, muscular people, but they couldn't fucking move. Yeah. And they were hurting, you know, and it was like, and then the other half of the people there were like physical therapists and personal trainers and they're like everybody's got back pain like what the you know like we're here because it's like that's what this this program does it's like targeted specifically for people that are in chronic pain 
to teach you how to reverse it and get out of pain. So the first two hours of this five hour thing, they just throw up anatomy slides and have like a discussion and they show a video of like the lungs, but like an animation of like the lungs breathing and like how, like when you get to full expansion on a breath and then to maintain that space and stay upright, how many muscles like fire to do that. And like, I mean, there are hundreds of muscles connected to your spine. Oh, you yeah. know, tiny little, the multifidy and the, um, or multifidi and the, the, the paraspinals and the spinal erectors and like all these little things. And it's like, you, nobody's working that out because it's hard to work it out. You can't do it by going to the gym and doing some like isolated move. Yeah. It's like, you have to do this like full body compound type stuff. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, so I started doing that and I met one of the guys there and there was one dude that taught this shit in Charlotte. And his name's Shane. And I met him at that. And I was like, hey, you live in Charlotte. Like, we're friends now. (laughs) (laughs) And I would literally go to every single class that he had. And I mean, he'd teach at chiropractic clinics, yoga studios, like just in the park. He'd just like throw up on Instagram, like, oh, I'm going to teach an FT class in the park. Be here at 12. Like, I would go to all of these. And eventually, he was like, hey, you practice every day. I'm like, yeah, because it's like, you know, we, we share our stories and I'm like, I, I have to do this. Like, mm-hmm. like, this is, this is truly transformative. It's given me my life back and I can move again and do all the things. And I'm not scared, you know, I'm not in fear of pain. And that really was like one of the hugest things was just like, okay, I, I don't fear this anymore. Right. And I know how to counteract it if I do injure myself or do, you know, in a moment of, uh, of unconnectedness, like make a movement that like hurts me. I'm like, okay, well now I know what to do. So I would go and he was eventually like, you should just help me teach these classes because it's like, it's much easier with two people. Like you can just stand there and do the movements and all cue people and go around and do like hands-on cues and stuff like that. And so for three years, I would, I, every class that he did on the weekends at night, you know, I'd go to every single one because it's like, I'd get a great workout out of it doing the motions, right? And feeling yeah. stronger. And um, and then it, but I tell everybody about it, like, oh dude, you gotta come to found it. And everybody's like, Yeah, whatever, Josh. Like, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, dude, seriously, like you can like these movements and like I get like super amped. I mean, you can tell I'm super amped about it. Like yeah. I just oh, yeah. for 30 fucking straight minutes well, of it's, it's training, your, like, it like, essentially saved your life. Yeah, I mean, you I, must feel you must feel incredibly lucky that you found this at the right uh, time. Dude, and like so incredibly lucky. And so at the end of 2018, I was just like, dude, no one's listening to me. Like <laughs> I'm gonna go get certified. Yeah. <laughs> so I went out and got certified to teach it at the end of 2018 and then uh march 1st of this year the last weekend of february first weekend of march i was out in san diego for the level two certification of it um so like i teach it here well before the covid thing i was teaching like four classes a week oh nice you know um but uh but no so when you were uh tommy when you're talking about like teaching yes you know like i uh like i totally get that oh yeah because it's like how do you get somebody who's unaware of them? How do, they're unaware of how they are in space? If that yeah. makes sense, and no, it's really yeah, because like, it's you're literally concept. You're reprogramming however old they are. You're reprogramming how they thought about how their body moves and contorts and acts. Like it's 
it's you're changing people's thought processes and it's it's yeah because you have to use the nerve the muscle is dumb and strong right like the the the, the muscle memory is kind of a misnomer it's like you're retraining a a pattern in your nervous system yeah and to do that you've got to do these new movements but you've got to be like very aware of what you're doing because you're this neural repatterning so it's like it's an awareness practice as much as it is a strength and conditioning practice as much as it is a breathing practice and so it's like all three of these things so it's like you're putting breath work you're tensioning chains of muscles and finding connection and you're 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 paying very much attention to all of it and it's hard yeah like the movements themselves are fundamentally simple but there's so much complexity in the simplicity and that's like the beautiful thing it's like a beautiful pop song right like this like i i say foundation training is like the Mr. Brightside of movement practices. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, it's like, it's the perfect dose of, of, of what you need. It's compact. It's simple. You can do it anywhere. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's simple, but in that simplicity, you will never, you'll never reach the end of it. Yeah. Like you can't get too good at breathing. You can't yeah. <laughs> get too good at hinging. You can't get, you know, too connected muscularly and in space and in control of yourself. You'll never top out. Yeah. Right. You'll just keep going deeper. And then, and you look at like examples of people like that, like over, like got this, like Bruce Lee. Yeah. You know, like people that fucking got it and you can see it like, and now, so I just, i all, all I see is posture. Yeah. When I'm looking yeah, in fact, when you were talking about like how people sit, I, I kind of like sat mm-hmm. up straight. Yeah. I was like, oh man. Oh yeah. I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, you got to sit on the end of right. your seat with your spine and think your spine as far away from your sacrum as possible, and like yeah. your neck is long and flat. It's like it requires effort to sit like that. Yeah. So if you're doing it, try squeezing your legs together because it makes it a little bit easier. So yeah. with that that platform of your legs squeezing together, and then your your the back of your neck kind of pulling as tall as it can, like you like you have a knife point right under your chin and then you take a nice big breath in that position. Right. And you don't let the ribs flare out. Right. You're not trying to like breathe so that the ribs push forward and your back extends and you crease your back. You're trying to keep that length. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you take a nice big breath as hard as you can in and up and you're expanding away from the base, the pelvis where those legs are connected there. You take a nice big breath and it's like, you can fire up your body just sitting still mm-hmm. right there and holding it like that. And it's fatiguing. Yeah. You guys trying that? Thing, uh, I, I did just try yeah. it and you know, it's, it's, it felt good. I'm going to continue to do it. That's, that's, I always sit in an, in an upright chair yeah. Uh, yeah. with a back, which, you know, cause I don't like to just, I don't know, lay in bed or lounge on the couch cause I get too tired and I live in New York city. So I walk a lot more than the average person. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy about that. And that's, that's the thing with, uh, you know, I had this on my list of things to talk about because I really can, I read about the work you did with foundation training and I really connected with it in the sense that, you know, for a long time in my life, I really struggled with, with drugs and alcohol and the, the answers like to your problems are so hard to find. I tried doctors and medicine and it just, it just didn't work out for me. Like I, I would go to a doctor. One doctor said like, I, I can't help you with that. And or doctors would give you a prescription or, you know, they would just nothing really worked. So mm-hmm. I eventually found something that worked and, you know, it wasn't medicine. It was like, uh, you know, connections through people to get me through out of my 
get me out of my isolation and mm -hmm. connection with myself to recognize my own bullshit and be able to change it. And it, the right, the right help is, is really hard to find. And it, it just, I, you know, I wish more people were willing to do it and not just about drugs and alcohol, but about anything. Cause like to really change, to really change takes so much effort. It's like the hardest thing in the world to do because People don't want to get out of their routines, like to tell someone, hey, you have to start exercising every day. <laughs> They're not going to do it. Yeah. They're going to die. Like, so you could you tell someone, hey, you've been drinking for 20 years. You have to stop. You're going to die. Most people are going to keep drinking and die. Like, or they're going to go to a doctor and get some medicine and, uh, you know, they get patched up and sent right back out. And that's, that's not the answer all the time. And, and for, I recognize that for some people it is like, you know, medicine helps some people and, you know, but it, it just wasn't. It wasn't the answer for me. Well, the people, yeah. like what people come to the realization is with a lot of stuff is that the work to get better is intense and it's not something that you, it's not like, you know, doing something physically exerting once. It's like, oh no, this is a continued practice that I'm now going to have to maintain. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. exactly. This has to become a lifestyle yes. now. Like yeah, you've yes. got to, like, you've got to commit to it and yeah, it's like if you become committed to that, but it's like nobody got nobody gets better without first having the idea that they can get better. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's like if you if you can like plant that seed in somebody, it's like, dude, you have the you can get better. And that was the thing that like was so inspiring to me is like cuz this doctor's like I fixed myself and I can teach you how to fix yourself, but it's like at the end of the day, if you fix yourself, you fixed yourself. Like no one can do it for you. You've got to do it for you. And like, that's super empowering. Like, yeah. to be like, because that, that's something then you take with you the rest of your life and you've got this new skill. You know, I used to think when I was like really down and out, like, dude, you ran a fucking marathon. You could do, you could do it. Like you can fucking do it. But like I, now when I look back on it, it's like, dude, you got yourself out of crippling pain yeah. where a lot of people don't. And it's right. like, ne I would never have thought five years ago I'd be grateful for that experience, yeah. right? Of, of like severe nerve damage and pain. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't know. Like it, 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 it gave, it, you know, finding foundation training and being like able to like teach that and get that out is like, it's, the, it's literally the most rewarding feeling. And that's what I was like just going to say. Somebody that gets out of pain. Because yeah, you like, taught them how, but they did it themselves. Yes. So now you can give back if uh, if people want the help. They have yeah. they have you as an option. Well, the problem for me though is that like I get like I mean I get a little preachy, and like I don't know I mean like dude I can just dominate a conversation with this you know? like <laughs> which I have just now done which I apologize for you know what hey, I mean though? but it's like but like I'm like dude you can do this like I can I can help you change and people get like weirded out a little bit because I'm just too intense and my wife's like dude you gotta fucking tone it down dude like <laughs> you're like you just you're gonna turn people off because you're yeah. just too intense about it and i'm like okay you're right, you're right you're right you're right you're right so i gotta find, lie about it so they don't I think gotta, it's like a, a, yeah. a sales pitch or a cult or something just be like hey i'm doing this thing yeah Come check it out yeah yeah i'm not good at that like i'm all <laughs> in you know it's like like even with the band it's like hey we're either gonna fucking write music or we're not like Right. One or the other. Like, what is it? Is everybody on board? Let's fucking do this. You know, that's that kind well, of mindset. That's a good segue, Josh. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so the last the last Hope's Fall album was two thousand seven. Was it Magnetic, Magnetic North? North was two thousand seven. Yeah. 
Yeah. So so and then there's a reunion show in 2011, and yeah, then Arbiter. and then there and then there's a long time till we get to Arbiter. So what? Let's talk about some of the events leading up to that. Did were you in touch with all the guys? How did you start writing music again? Chad and Adam got me to play in another band, and we were playing with our buddy Ethan, and we were doing it on like Saturday mornings, and and we were jamming, and it was fun, and and it just it, we just kind of lost our head of steam. Like we'd written a bunch of songs, we wrote like eight songs, we recorded like four of them, mm-hmm. but we just kind of like lost the thread. You know, like life intervenes. And meanwhile, I'm going through all of this. This is all this back pain stuff is starting to kind of come, really start to present itself in my life, you know? Yes. So um, so we play, we kind of lose ahead of steam. And then I talk to Dustin, who was the guitar player for A-Types, mm-hmm. Magnetic North Arbiter. And we're like, dude, we should play. Like, let's, get, let's, let's jam with Adam, like just for fun. And so we would go bowling on Wednesday nights and then mm-hmm. we would jam. Or we would jam first, and then we would go bowling. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so, I mean, this is like 2009. So this is only like two years after we broke up. Oh. You know, like so we got, that, I got so talked back into it. Like, it, but, but it was never going to be Hope's fault. Yeah. We were just writing, and we wanted to start another band. So a couple different people played with us over the time. Mikey, who was in uh, Hope's Fall as well, but then he moved away. And then eventually we all went to see – Hum and failure in 2015. Yeah, like it I was, was at me that. and Chad and Adam and Dustin and a bunch of our other friends and wives. And like we, we you know, we saw we went and saw Hum and we saw Matt and talked with him for a little bit. Awesome. And basically, like Chad was like, "Dude, I'll play with you guys. Like we should play." Mm-hmm. And so we were like, "Yeah, we should." And and so we had these songs, you know, that we'd kind of had and we'd made demos of with our buddy. Uh, this guy named Kit had made demos for us, and and then eventually, like, we talked to Jay about singing on it, and eventually, you know, I've always stayed in contact with Mike Watts, who ran, runs Voodoo Studio, mm-hmm. and I was just telling him, like, dude, you should give us a deal, like, so we can come up and record. He's like, what? You need to make a new Hope's Fall? And we're like, no, it's not Hope's Fall, dude. It's just he's like, <laughs> so even well, at it's this all point, of the people from Hope's Fall, and we're like. Yeah, but it's not hopeful. Yeah, like, we're just we're, we're we're done with that. Like that that was the past, and and so even at that point, it was still not hopeful. Right. Okay. And so, and we'd already had like five songs mm-hmm. written. You know, I mean, over the course of we're talking like now, this is two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen. Like we'd go six months without playing. Mm-hmm. you know, like at times or, you know, we'd have big gaps and whatnot, but like every now and then we'd eventually we'd find a routine and we'd stick with it for a while. Then we'd fall off and we'd find another routine and stick with it and fall off. And so anyway, Mike Watts is like, I send him the demos. He's like, you mind if I show these to some people? I'm like, no, not at all. Like, yeah. Like if, if, if somebody wanted to put it out, like it's not hope's fall, but it's all of us. So, <laughs> yeah. and so he calls Will Putney and and Will Putney's like, if they call it Hope's Fall, we can do something. If not, then we can't. Like, oh. you know, like there's there's value in that brand. Yeah. So yes. I hate talking about the band as a brand, but I've, I've uh, eventually, you know, you recognize it. Is. it is. Yeah, you recognize it. It is, you know. And, and it's like, and, I, and then I also realized it's like me just not calling it Hope's Fall, just being like stubborn, like, no, it's not Hope's Fall. We're doing a new thing because that's done. It was really just my own pride. It was like, I didn't want to yeah. go back to Hope's Fall. Because it had yeah. 
there was a lot of negative energy back there and I didn't want to go back there, you know? Right. But eventually I had to, like, you know, it was apparent. They were like, you know, they, they hooked us up with EVR and, and, and graphic nature, Will and Dan's project. And they're like, look, if you call a hoax ball, we can, we can re, you know, repress all that old vinyl. And, and, you know, you've got something that people want. Yeah. And we're finally like, okay, okay. Well, you know, and we call, you know, deliberated on it. Like we didn't want to do it, but like eventually like Jay was always pushing for us to do it. The singer. Um, mm-hmm. And I was always very hesitant and yeah. very resistant to that idea. Were you but, afraid some, some bad stuff might come up again or, or something like that? Yeah, or I just you, wanted it to be different. Yeah. You know, but it's all the same people, you know, and it's all in its music. Or it's not all the same people. Like, Hope Souls had so many members over the years, right? Like, right. it was everybody that had at some point been in the band. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we were like, okay, well, we're going to do it. And, and so we, we took the next three, two years to finish writing. We wrote mm-hmm. like six more songs. And then that collection of songs is Arbiter. And we were thinking yeah. we were going to call the band Arbiter. Yeah. But then that ended up becoming the album title. Yeah. So you were, you were sitting on that album for a little while, right? Because I remember following yeah. this on social media. And at one point the band posted like, hey, the album's done. We're just waiting. And that was in like January. And yeah. the album didn't come out to July. Were you like crawling out of your skin waiting for this thing no, to come out? The, the, the album, we, we, so check this out. So we tracked for like 15 days or something mm-hmm. in January of 2017. We didn't finish the vocals and mixing until July of 2017. Oh. So because we just, it was like, we've got lives and jobs and, and, yeah. and stuff. And so it was like me and Jay would fly back there on weekends a couple times mm-hmm. to like finish up the vocals and, you know, kind of tweak things and, you know, and, um, so July of 2017 is when it finally was done. And then it got mastered, I think, you know, maybe like in August or September. And then it was basically like, we turned it in and we're just like, look, you guys can put this out whenever, like whenever it makes sense in your release schedule for mm-hmm. EVR. Cause we're not playing shows. We're not going to do it. Like, yeah. This is it. And that was part of the deal too. It was like, look, don't expect us to play. Like, and they were we'll, okay we'll with give that. you a record, <laughs> but we're not going to play shows. And they were like, okay. And which is really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Of them to be like, okay, on your terms, man, like whatever it is you need, you know, but so then the year goes by after we, Right and record, you know, after the records recorded, and so it's it's like January of 2018 now, and they're like, "You guys, uh, you think you could play some shows to support this record?" And we're like, "Okay," <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah. So then it came out in July of 2018, and we we took like the first half of that year to try to, you know, get together and practice and get back up to a place where we could play. And then in July, we played those three shows of 2018. We played two in Brooklyn and one in Charlotte. And then right. We I was since. at the uh, <laughs> second night of the St. Vita show, and it was, it was a trip to see you guys again after all those years. And, you know, when, when the first single came out, H.A. Wallace Space Academy, I, yeah. I, was, like, I was like, this is going to be the record of the year. Like, this is going to be my favorite record of the year. And it was. It was, it was really good because, you know, a lot of times a band will go – away for a long time and then come back with a new record and you're like, eh, you know, but the, I, I have to say Arbiter 
it's hard for me to pick a favorite Hope's Hall record, but Arbiter was just like he came back better and stronger than ever, and it was uh, it's a very very good record. Thanks, dude. Yeah. 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 It's like, but it's one of those things where I look back at the band and, and like the progression and the people that were in it. It was like, whatever group of people we had, it was always just about like chasing that energy. Like, yeah. what what are the four of us when we're writing music? Like when everybody like locks eyes and was like, oh yeah, that was it. That's <laughs> yeah. all Hope Falls ever been. Yeah, is yeah. chasing that. Yeah, so, you know what I mean. It's like yeah. whatever that is, it can. I don't care what it sounds like. It could be a heavy riff. It could be a spacey part. Like we've got all these similar influences, like, you know, and everybody kind of brings their own flavor to the table. Right. But again, that unifying theme, like hum and shiner and like a few yes. like hardcore bands that we're all really into cave in and stuff like that. It's just like whatever comes out in the room that we're stoked about. That's what hopes falls. Yeah. When I heard you, has this ever happened to you? Like I heard Arbiter and I was like, this, it's like they went in my brain and took it out. Like, this is the record I want to put out. Like, this is the music I want to write. It just like, it just aligned perfectly with everything like that. I imagined myself doing in music. Oh, rock and roll. man. Yeah. No, it just, yeah. that's what, that's what it is. We get in a yeah. room and somehow mash shit together. Yeah. And you're always chasing a feeling. And for, it's like, I'll describe it to people for like every like 25 hours of practice, you come up with like one minute of like recordable content. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. banging your head against the wall. But yeah. it's like, if you haven't, if you're like, okay, if we do this enough, like there'll be these moments and these nuggets that'll just jump out and everybody will catch the vibe. And then that's, we'll follow that. And the song will write itself. I love it. I love discovering those moments. And, yeah. you know, you have a song you can't do anything with, and then you finally fucking figure it out. Or, yeah. you know, you labor over or you don't. a song together. Yeah, or you just drop it. Or you it. don't. Or you drop yeah. it. You're like, okay, we can't, we're, we, we can't pick the lock on this one. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. So, and then you move on. I was excited to see that Ryan, Ryan Parrish is back in the fold now. Oh. Right, right. So, Dustin, so after the... Uh, January two th- or July 2017 shows, we were like, look, because that was it. I mean, we were like, we're going to do one record. That's it. Yeah. We're not putting any pressure on ourselves. Let's just do this and have fun. Right. And when it's all over with, we'll have a conversation. Like, do is this something everybody can make time for in their lives? Is everybody willing to sacrifice, you know, and travel? And it's going to cost money. And it's like, you know, like all those things. And, and, and four out of the five of us were like, yeah, like that was fun enough that I want to continue to do it. And Dustin, I mean, to Dustin's credit, he's like, dude, I just, I like, I want to play music, but it's like, I don't want to commit to that and yeah. playing shows and being on a schedule. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. Like I, I want to live the life I want to live and, and, and hopes fall. Like, I, like, he's like, I love playing music with you guys. But he's just like, I'm not willing to make that commitment right now. Like, I'm trying to build a studio in my house. And it's like, I've only got so much time. And, you know, and I'm like, dude, I, I totally get it and totally appreciate that. Like, don't don't be in hopes fall out of a sense of, like, I'm letting the other people down. Like, out of obligation. You know, to continue, you know, out of obligation. Like, don't do that. And I was, like, stoked. He's, like, super honest. About it. He's like, dude, I just, I don't want to make that commitment. Cause it's like, I have things I want to do with my life. And I'm like, I 100% respect that. Right. And I was just like, you don't mind. Like, I was like, we're going to, we're going to call Ryan. Cause the four out of five of us are like, 
hey, this would be a fun little side project. This would be something fun to do. And we get to make music. And so we called Ryan and we're like, hey, man, what do you think? You know, he lives in Nashville. And uh, he's like, you know, like initially, yeah, it sounds like a really good idea. He's like, let's just let's get in a room together and jam over Christmas and just like see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Then we got in a room and in two days we'd written a song. And it was like, okay, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> you know, like was that song Hall of the Sky? No, that okay. that was that was a different one. We've got we recorded three songs last April, mm-hmm. April two thousand nineteen. So, what's the plan with the other two? It's going to come out. Uh, well, I don't know. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like it was supposed to come out last year. Yeah, um, but things just keep getting pushed back, and and it just kind of is what it is. But like we're in no rush. I mean, like we put out Hall of the Sky back in February because we were supposed to go to Japan. Right, Taken. Right, uh, and y'all then, know Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I saw Taken. Um, when the hell was that? They played with us in this day forward in Canada. Yeah, I, I used there? to. I used to see. I I was never on tour out with them. But they they were always around back in the day, uh-huh. so I would I would see them, and I just saw them play. They did a little tour last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so we did. Uh, I saw them. They were great. You know, it was it was a real yeah. trip to see them again. Well, Ray had reached out to me, um, because we did a podcast together a couple years ago, or he um for his podcast because he he works for, in podcasts, like he works for iHeartRadio, and he's right. like the head of their podcast division. Okay. But he does. He's he's he he can't sit still either. He's got projects out the wazoo. He's got all this yeah. stuff going on. Um, so he called. He texted me from Japan when they were over there, like two thousand mm-hmm. end of two thousand eighteen, I believe, mm-hmm. and was like, "Yo, the promoter over here is like, we should do a Hope's Fall Taken tour. Would you guys be down?" And we were like, "Fuck yeah." Like, nice. how do we make this happen? Because it's like every time we were supposed to go to Japan back in the day when we were touring, it always fell apart and we never got to go. And that was like a huge regret. We went to Europe, in South America, and we always want to go into Asia. We never right. got to Australia. We never got to New Zealand. So we were like, okay, yeah, we'll definitely do it. And so we were supposed to go like last week. You know? So is that is that going to still happen at some point or is it totally We're hoping to, but it's like, I mean – you just you know, don't know, theori- right? Yeah, we're committed to making it happen when the world finds its new balance. Yeah, right. Whatever. That's Who knows when that's like. going to happen? Mm-hmm. I hope sooner than later. But it's it's crazy. Like so many good shows were happening. So many good shows were happening in March and April, and they were just, they're just all gone. Yeah. So it's 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 wild. The music industry is done, except of course this wonderful podcast. You know, we're <laughs> exactly we are carrying the, the flame. Industry. The torches is still lit. Bro, this is the one yeah, thing that's been consistent in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm so glad we have this because uh, you know, it, who knows what I'd be doing playing more yeah. video games? I guess. But Josh, um, if I can say something now, you know, like I mentioned before, like I had struggled with drugs and alcohol for a lot of my life. And in 2017, I would guess I was at my worst point and I was high as hell. And I was like, you know what? Let me throw on, on uh, uh, the, the worst stuff. Oh yeah. The wor- <laughs> the worst stuff, the worst stuff you can imagine. And meth, I guess, I, uh, <laughs> we're bringing it back to meth. Were you smoking? Well, <laughs> no, if, if, but if I, if I could find it, I, I would have done it. Oh I'm yeah, sure. yeah. 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 But 
you know, I guess I was trying to reconnect with my past. I'm like, let me throw on Satellite Years. I remember that being good. And I, I was like, hey, this is good. Like, these guys have other albums. I've never even heard them. Like, let me check it out. So I, I discovered, you know, so as I was getting my shit together, like I was kind of working through your discography. So I discovered A-Types and then Magnetic North. And, you know, Tommy's like my wife. I like text him every day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every time every time i discover a new song i'm like check this one out check this one out like so hopes fall can't kind of became the soundtrack to like me getting my shit together which i finally did after after a long long time and and so it was just really awesome like when i heard you guys were writing again and then a new album was coming out and then just all it culminating with me seeing you guys again i was like yeah man it was just like it was a wild journey so i i thank you for uh for your musical contributions in that, that band that's awesome dude that's just <laughs> yeah. wild like uh but yeah that's, that's like it's super great to hear you yeah. know so you it, helped- the, the stuff takes take, it takes on a life of its own you know it becomes whatever you know different people like i mean you look back at certain records they mean so much to you yeah you know and like it like yeah, I've got those records where it's like oh, this shaped this part of my life. Like, yes, you I know, love that. and yeah. and it's like this was the thing I was just vibing on. Like, I love thinking about that music or listening to that music, and you you know what I mean. So I I I get it. It's cool yeah. that, that 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 like we got to be a part of that. You know, yeah, those stories yes. that you'll never know that we'll never know, we'll never hear. It's cool to get to hear one. <laughs> exactly and that's yeah. why that's that's why i like telling them so why don't we close out by by let's talk about what we're going to do for the remainder of the pandemic you know now me to, this podcast is fairly new tommy and i were talking about doing it for a long time because we have really similar music yeah. taste and yeah. you know we were talking we were like planning for a little under a year and then then we got together and we did it and it's it's been going great i love it there's a there's an Instagram page that accompanies it. It started as an Instagram oh, page. What's the Instagram page? It's at. the NE scene. We actually follow you, so just look at your yeah. followers. <laughs> it started as an Instagram page where we just posted show videos and flyers yeah, and ticket yeah. stubs and that. Just old yeah. stuff we had so, sitting around. Well, actually, old stuff Keith had sitting around. I had nothing, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But eventually I got the idea to do the podcast. I'm like, dude, we know all these bands. Like, we love this shit. Let's, let's, let's do this. So, the, you know, the podcast takes up a lot of time. I love it. I love doing it. And I can still do it in the midst of this thing, which is awesome. And there's so many good video games out right now. I'm way into Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare, playing online with people, Doom Eternal, Final Fantasy VII Remake is out in a couple of days. So I'm... I'm having the time of my life, you know. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, no, no offense. No offense to anyone struggling or has lost people. Uh, I, uh, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I, I'm doing okay so yeah. far. I yeah, still everybody's going to have a different experience of this time. Yeah, you know? I still so have a, it. Is your own, and it's what you make it. So I still it's have a, a job, so it's all you know. Everything is okay today for me. So what about you, Josh? Like, what? Uh, what's you know? We you mentioned that you're you're working at the brewery, so you're still working, but like. What kind of stuff do you do besides music? Like, what what's your day to day fun? Well, I mean, I was always, like, now that I've gotten on this foundation training thing, so I do a lot of FT, trying to find that like mm-hmm. time to do that uh, with people, just to hone my skills at teaching it. Um, right. But but and to that, like, 
because I want to be, I, I want to be very effective at that. Like my goal is to become like a world-class instructor in foundation training because it's so, to me, it's so beneficial. And yes. It, it, so it's like, I have like a mission with that. So like, but so I'm like, okay, well, what other things are going to teach me more about my body and connection? So I do a lot of yoga and uh, I was doing Tai Chi and, mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, it's challenging. Um, it's hot, you know, but it's fun. And, but it's also like a really good, like clears your mind. Mm-hmm. So, but because I haven't been able to go to like classes and stuff, like I've just been like following, um, online, the, the foundation training streaming site, uh, like one of the, the program director, uh, is putting out like a daily series of, of, of routines. So I do that every day. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that's my kind of like physical activity. Um, but you know, I've been reading been hanging out with my wife, you know, we've got a greyhound yeah. Uh, yeah. hanging out with my dog a lot, you know, and I love dogs taking yes. him. Yeah. Just taking him for a walk and, and, and just kind of like, I was like, I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a bunch of music and stuff like that. And I haven't even really like picked up my guitar that much. Right. Lately. So I'm just like, man, Yeah. you know, I don't know what I'm going to play with everybody else again. I should be like hacking away at it a little bit more, but it's just like, I don't know. I kind of like go in waves with it. Like same here. Yeah. Like it happens when it happens. I'll pick it up when I pick it up and I'll start writing when I get inspired. Um, But yeah, I don't know, man, I'm just going to work and work as much as possible and keep our, you know, like keep the company going. Yeah. The brewery. Right. I've worked there for ten years. That's awesome. Which so, brewery is it? It's called Old Mecklenburg Brewery. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Old Mecklenburg. We okay. make like yeah, we make German style beer, um, and we were the first one in Charlotte. Like we opened in uh, March of two thousand nine, uh, um, and like of the people from the beginning that are there, I was when I was hired, I was like maybe like the ninth or tenth employee, but mm-hmm. of the people there, I'm the fourth employee. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. Like and. And yeah, like, so it's like, and, and Dustin works there too. Oh, uh, okay. he's a sales rep there as well. I don't know. Nice. So I've got, I've got, I, that is, it, it's plenty to, I'm working more during this. So that keeps me busy. Yeah, I have been too. I have been too. And Tommy, what about you? And Tommy, <laughs> I, I want to hear about, I want to hear about you <laughs> and your interests. Not, not just work. You can, you can sprinkle in a little work, but I want to hear about Tommy the man as well. And his- Me too. So that, so, Me too. Uh, Take it away, Tommy. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is such a, this is such a dad thing. So this is yeah. what I've been keeping myself busy with is the girls and I over, I guess right before Christmas decided, like we try to do like one really big Christmas present that everybody can use together. Or everybody can kind of share. And the mm-hmm. girls decided on, uh, we have a really old play set that was out back. That was like cedar. It was kind of falling apart in some places. Um, and they were definitely outgrowing it. So mm-hmm. what we did was we spent a good chunk of time on the computers and the iPads sitting around looking up different types of playgrounds. And we actually all decided on one together. And then I took the old one down. And as I took the old one down, I was like, oh, this was really easy to take apart. You know, I can't wait to put the other one together. This is going to be really nice. And then I saw the delivery part of it. And uh, as I'm like looking at it, I'm going like, oh, man, this is going to be like it says it's going to take anywhere between 40 and 60 hours to build it. 
And my wife is pretty small. And then I have two six-year-olds with me. And I'm like, oh, this is probably not a great idea. Like, I, I don't know if I want to build this by myself. And my wife had the really good idea of let's just put it out on Facebook. I have a ton of friends that are in the carpenters union or like our contractors and stuff like that. And they're out of work now. So I was like, look, instead of actually just, you know, hiring a company to come out and do this, when I put it out on Facebook and see if someone will come here and build it. So <laughs> that's been another uh. kind of uh, undertaking is finding someone to build it. And actually I found, uh, I grew up skateboarding for a long time. And one of the kids I grew up skateboarding with uh, was in a contractor or was it, uh, in the carpenters union and hasn't been in work for like three and a half weeks. And he was like, dude, I'm kind of hard up. I would love to do it for you. And I was like, dude, Here's the thing. Do you know anybody else that, cause both my wife and I are collecting paychecks. We're both working cause we're teachers. So, I mean, but mm -hmm. our, our teaching is minimal. I mean, I teach an hour and a half, maybe every day I have all this extra time. And I was like, look, if someone else is out there not working, I, the least we could do is, you know, have, you know, kind of kill two birds with one stone, help out a friend and <laughs> relieve myself of the headache of having to try to build this thing by myself. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah. that's what I've been doing. No, that's awesome. And actually, uh, I, I played bass in bands growing up, but I've always played guitar on my own. So like whenever I play music by myself, I either play guitar or piano. So um, I've actually been working with both my daughters. One daughter is really interested in piano and the other one's really interested in guitar. So uh, I bought my one daughter like a three-quarter three size acoustic for like 100 mm -hmm. bucks off Amazon. It sounds great, and so we've been coming down uh, like every other night for about half hour, forty five minutes, and learning notes and learning chords. And she's just super into it. Uh, so it's really been kind of fun to kind of like rediscover like parts of like I'm like, oh, I forget how to do this. Hold on a second. Like she'll she'll yeah. say things like, uh, what do she she watches stuff on YouTube by herself now about guitar, and then she came into me <laughs> the one day and she was like, Daddy, what's diminished fifth? And I was like. Uh, I, don't I don't even i don't know <laughs> i don't remember yeah. i don't remember like when i whenever i play guitar i always like looked at someone and said okay so what fret is that on okay what what string yeah. is that okay cool that's the extent of my uh <laughs> precise uh, no yeah. yeah so uh, yeah no i what number are we playing exactly like, oh we're on yeah. we're on fret nine play the nine yeah, yeah. play the nine yeah, yeah i remember exactly. like when somebody's like i always I, I thought it was funny was uh i remember um God, who was like the first time? So uh, we were friends with a, a bunch of kids in A Life Once Lost. And I remember Doug from A Life Once Lost was kind of like, especially back then when he was like 18, 19, was of the same mindset of like, what number are we on? Whereas the new guitar player they hired was this kid named Bob Carpenter. And he like really, really knew music theory. And I remember him saying to mm -hmm. me like, oh, actually, no, that's like more like legato and started to like throwing out all these terms. And I'm like, I remember looking him right in the face and being like, are you making shit up right now? Are you just like, are you just like, you know, like when you talk to a car guy and they're like, they start making things up and you're like, no, dude, like a legato diminished fifth. Like, what is, what are you talking about? And he's like, do you know anything about music theory? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> not a thing. I, just, you, I know enough to I stay I away was going to say, have you been to the, the shows? It's us hitting people with the guitars. Like we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Well. There was something yeah so cathartic about the menacing nature of those shows. Yeah. Like it was like, dude, people might get hit. Yeah. Like, but 
they, they know what they're they know the risks they're Look, taking. Came to, like this is gonna get wild. Yeah, you came to see bands that had like nine per, like, you know, ten percent of them have the word blood in their name. The other pretend you know, the other ten percent have like something like throwdown and it's like, you know, what the hell did you expect was gonna happen? Like, you know, I remember uh Anthony and I played a show when we were younger and it was with a band that was really kind of huge up here, which was Bad Luck Thirteen and the Riot Extravaganza. And wait, 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 wait! You played with them? So we we played a sh- in in audience so of one. At that point, we weren't even called Audience of One. Remember, we were just like a grindcore like noise band, and I don't even remember. We were wow. called. I think at that point, we were called the Bill Bixby Experience, which was. <laughs> Bill Bixby was the guy that actually was uh he was the guy who played Bruce Banner on fucking The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> so well. keep in mind this is from the mind of like 15-year-old idiots. Like this is where we came up with this shit. So uh we played oh, a yeah. show and I remember being like, I've never heard of this band before, and it was at a skate park and they played on top of a half pipe or at the bottom of the half pipe. And I remember the first ten or fifteen seconds these guys came out with masks on and they had a uh, huge lengths of chain, like real, like, you know, three quarter inch chain. I was like, holy shit, what the hell is going to happen? And they walked over to all the fire exits and fucking locked them. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, what is happening? And then proceeded to set a fire. I was like, Oh, okay. So this is how I die. This seems, this seems pretty much, this seems par for the course. You would see pictures of bad luck shows. And I remember being like, how is there that much blood? Like, are they really hitting people? Like you would see like things like they would have um, like those, uh, the most ridiculous things you could think of literally like think, uh, do you, do you guys have that ECW? when you guys were growing up that it, 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 I, I, yeah, the, yeah, the, like the wrestling show. Yeah. That's, so like, yeah, it was it like, was, that, it was yeah. literally like that barbed wire, baseball bats. Like people would bring shit like plate glass windows and stuff like that. Like people would bring stuff to their shows and be like, hit people with this. And they would literally do it. Like, they would, you know, hit each other that's and then amazing. run out of the crowd. And like, you know, f- there was always somebody brought fireworks to shit and throw them out in the middle of the crowd. It was ridiculous. Well, Josh, uh, we thank you so much for coming on the show. And you know, if you're if you're ever up here, if you're ever up this way, you know, hit us up. Yeah, uh, I'll have to connect either I'm with sure. you or the, with the band, or you know, we'll. I'm sure. Well, it. I'm hoping at some point that like we'll get up the Northeast and 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 have a show. We had something lined up. Yeah, uh, but it's it's all everything's falling no. apart. Yeah, of course, yeah, on yeah. that front. So I don't know. I don't know when we'll be up that way, but like I would, I would, I hope that yeah. we are. So, yeah. yeah, I think that'll be one of the shows that Tommy and I we'll will, will we'll get attend together, together to yeah. attend. It'll be, like, yes. yeah. it'll be a big event. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> awesome. All right, hey, well, Josh, thank you, thank Josh. you so much. I appreciate hey. it. Happy yeah. to be here, guys. Happy to be here. So that was fun. So glad to talk to you guys, too. All right. All right. Good times. There you have it, folks, the Josh Brigham interview. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Just as a reminder, check us out on Instagram at the NE Scene, also on Twitter at the same handle. Email us at northeastscene at gmail.com. Share with us your ticket stubs and flyers and show videos and stories. Get in touch. We want to hear from you. Thanks. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our YouTube page. And give us high ratings on your podcast medium of choice. It helps us out a lot. Every little bit goes a long way. Thank you, and see you next time on The Northeast Scene.